episode 130, Hotshot Scott, not in Cave Creek, Arizona, where he was for episode 129P, but this time in... I'm in Phoenix proper, downtown Phoenix, pretty pretty close to it. I'm, I actually saw a billboard that said, welcome to Phoenix, pandemic schmandemic. <laughs> so that's how it's going down here. <laughs> I mean, oh, holy cow, God. it's a little different down here, man. Uh, I, I, I hate to tell you, but I, I, one of the dads and I were chatting, and we both agreed that if, if we escape COVID as a family, oh, we're superheroes. Don't tell me. We're superheroes. Don't tell me. The, <laughs> oh, God, the, the first day of the tourney. I'll have to tell you about that, but oh, yeah. Anyway, I'm in Phoenix right now sitting in a, a hotel room that's probably a little echoey. So I'm under like six feet of snow here in the Northwest. Honestly, now somebody's going to call me some meteorologist like like Steve Poole's going to call after he listens <laughs> unfiltered and say, yeah. what are you talking about? I think it's the most snow that I've seen at one time in my 26, seven years living in the Northwest. It is unbelievable. It's been pretty it's been crazy watching a puppy try to figure it out for the first time. It's a <laughs> yeah. great thing because I, I, I haven't needed to go anywhere. But I was thinking, I don't know about you. I know that you miss the Cube days. I know that you revisit the Cube days in your mind. You want to go back to that morning show. I know that you miss all that. And I miss the radio show as well. But there's a list of about three or four things. I don't know if you have a list of about three or four things that I missed least about that job and the num I could tell you the number one most stressful thing about my 23 years at KJR yeah was after I went to the morning show now you got to remember I'm a guy from Florida all right I can drive in rain I can even drive in a hurricane all right when I start driving in snow and I didn't have a I didn't have a car in Syracuse New York where it snowed more than any place in the country I didn't even have a car yeah okay okay so we can't count that. Okay. So I never really learned to drive in the snow. So I then moved to uh, Washington, D.C. I got my first car when I had my first job in D.C. I immediately slid on ice and wrecked the car. Immediately. I am deathly afraid of driving on ice and on, in snow. So when I took the morning gig, I guess that would have been 1996 at KJR. For the yeah. next 22 years, the worst thing about my job was on those rare nights where it was snowing or expected to snow, and people yeah. wanted to know, are you coming in tomorrow morning at five? You know, the roads aren't clear. I've got to make a decision the previous night. How am I oh, going to yeah. get there? How long is it going to take? The stress, honest to God, Scott, you see the gray hair in my in my head? <laughs> it was about producers and the and the snow and ice. <laughs> on those on those like five days a year where I had to figure out how to how to get to my work at five o'clock in the morning to do a morning show 30 minutes away. We had a two word solution to those days. Best of <laughs> <laughs> you guys can't do that live sports. sports well, there's going. another reason why we can't do best of. Oh, yeah, that's true. You got to have, you gotta have some entertaining <laughs> segments to throw together. That's true. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. But uh, I miss getting up more than anything, though. If we're going to talk about our list, getting the alarm clock. I, to this day, when I have to get up early, I just oh, I hate it. Hated getting up at 430. But yeah, the snow doesn't bug me. I always had a four wheel drive car and just I was always fine. But. I could see why it would stress you out being oh, from Florida. Going to sleep yeah. the night before and not <laughs> yeah. knowing if I was going to be able to make it in. 
I didn't have a replacement. What were you going to do if Mitch doesn't show? Yeah. Can you at least tell us the night before? Well, I don't know what it's going to look like when I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't know how much snow is going to be on the ground. I don't know if our yeah. neighborhood's going to be plowed. I mean, just right now I'm breaking out into hives just thinking about those days. Those were <laughs> Having a horrible, flashback. horrible. So how are you doing in Phoenix? How How is Team Levine, how's the sixth grade girls Team Levine team doing? Team Levine looks like they haven't played together in a year. That's what Team Levine looks Uh-oh. like down here. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we went to Nampa, uh, Idaho, remember, like, in October? Yeah. They played three games there. And other than those three, they, they hadn't played together, I remember this, since February 16th, which is almost exactly a year ago because that was Piper's birthday. That was the last time that they played together. So it's been about a year since they've played. I mean, you know, lots of turnovers and, and uh, traveling. But that being said, they're, they're still hanging tough, and they're one and three so far, so they're not going to win oh, the whole thing. Oh, boy. Yeah, but the, the three teams they lost to, three, all three of them are in the final four. So that was a hell of a draw for them, and they played some good teams. <laughs> that didn't help either. So the sixth-grade team – Sixth grade girls, how many of them get on a plane, go to Arizona, hang out in the hotel together? That's got to be just a – forget the basketball. That's got to be an unbelievable thrill. I've done it. You know, I did it with the boys. I did it with Brett. Yeah. We were all over the place, baseball and basketball. I just know the camaraderie. It's so much fun when you're away from home, especially when there's 12 feet of snow at home oh, and you happen best. to be in Arizona oh, on that I mean, particular day. The family was at the pool earlier. I mean, oh. hanging out at a <laughs> Piper was on a lazy river, 70 degrees. <laughs> you know? This this hotel is it feels like I'm doing an ad for him. I'm not. I, I paid. Believe me. But this hotel, <laughs> it, it's the, the Grand Arizona or Arizona Grand. It's a resort. It's got a full size golf course. It's got oh. a water park. It's you know, pool after pool. It's just this isn't the Indian reservation. This is not the Indian reservation, is it? I don't know. You're not at the no. casino, are you? No, no, no. Okay. There, there's no casino. It's just okay. this massive resort. And I was like, wait. Typically, it's like a Hilton Garden Inn in Ferndale. You know, yeah, it's not right, this right. usually. Right. We're we're gonna get like we're gonna use like 15 percent of this place, man. It's wow. unbelievable. Okay, so, so they're yeah. one in three, and they still have a couple yeah. of more games on the Monday, right? Yep, a couple more games on Monday. All right. Well, this is episode 130. Subscribe, rate, and review us anywhere from five to five stars. Anywhere in that range from five to five Mm -hmm. stars. Available on all podcast platforms. How about this one for you? Including the new Amazon Music podcast platform. Amazon Music called Steve Dion, called producer Steve, and asked if they can include Mitch Unfiltered on their Amazon Music platform. How about that? That's that's my platform. Some people use Spotify, iTunes. I use Amazon Music, so I didn't even know that myself. I use it every day. I love Amazon Music. Have you been listening to us on Amazon Music? No, I didn't know it was the oh, thing. Oh, okay. I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know yeah, it, it just, is now. You're telling me for the first time. That's great. It absolutely is now. So please subscribe, rate, and review us. You can become a patron for $5 a month at MitchUnfiltered.com, and that entitles you to all the non-Monday shows each week. Or you can write me. You can write me a lovely email at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Oh, oh, boy. The smile's coming out. Here we, we go. We, we had a chunk this week. Uh, oh, no. That were along the Is same that my lines. Nickname? No, no, no. <laughs> That'd be the chunkster. No, uh, we had a chunk this week that were along the same lines. I'll read a couple of them. Mitch, thanks for bringing Chris Hansen back out of the shadows. How do you think this is going to play out? 
Will Seattle give Hanson Occidental? Todd in Belltown wants to know. Mitch, that was the best interview I've heard with Hanson. You seem to have connections behind the scenes. Would love your projection on when and what happens. Tony in Palm Springs, who's warm. So we got a lot of, this is just two of them. We got a handful, a pretty good handful of reaction yeah. to the Hanson interview, which we, you and I talked about on episode 129P, right? No, it was it was really cool to hear him, to hear him, like, like he said, out of the shadows. I I just, I don't know, it's weird. I kind of forgot about him until you said we're having Chris Hansen on. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, what happened? To that? Chris Hansen was in my life every day for like a year, and then he just kind of went away. It was like, so it was really cool to hear from him. And, and like I told you on the last episode, that the biggest takeaway for me is that he's a hell of an ally to have. I mean, not just financially, but he just wants basketball back in Seattle, yeah. whether he's a huge part of it or small part of it. And he seems like just he has the greatest attitude about it. Well, so. you either you either accept him for what he says. And if you do that, you love him like you just said. Yeah. Right. Or if you're cynical, skeptical, you say, oh, he's too. That's too good to be true. There's no dude on the earth that wants Seattle to have basketball so bad that he's willing to do jump through all these hoops to do it. And I don't know where you okay. fall in. I know where I fall. I fall in the same line as you. I've known him for now about 10 years. And to answer these guys' question, and I got a, 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 good, a good chunk more of, you know, what's going to happen, I think it's pretty clear. I don't think there's a lot of guessing right now as to how this is going to unfold. I believe that in the next five years, the NBA will expand to two more cities two more basketball cities and okay. one will be Seattle absolutely they will announce a decision to attempt to expand to Seattle and some other city that other city could be Louisville it could be Kansas City it could be Las Vegas it could be Mexico City I'm sure I'm forgetting a few it could be a number of different cities I can pretty much guarantee you that the the NBA has already decided when they expand which will the announcement I think will happen in the next five years they're going to expand to Seattle. And then what's going to happen, and I know that you and I talked about this on 129P a little bit. Let's talk about it for those that don't put their hands in their pockets for the five bucks each month. Okay? <laughs> what then is going to happen, I believe, is the NBA will set a price tag. You heard Chris Hansen say he thinks there might be a bidding process. Maybe yeah. there will, maybe there won't. There's really no history that that alludes to that. I, I think it's going to be a, a – I think they're going to put a price tag on – Seattle and the other city. Let's say, what are we in? 2021? Yep. Maybe 2024. They're going to say, all right, two and a half billion dollars. That's the fee. Two and a half billion dollars. Okay. If you can come up with an ownership group that not only can afford the two and a half billion, but can afford a lot more and that we like the guys, we got to like yep. the guys, then, <laughs> right. then you're in. And at that point, the NBA is going to put together a committee of owners, not all of the owners, just a committee, a committee of, I don't know, eight or ten. And they are then going to go through the vetting process. Anybody, including you and me, Hotshot, if we can come yeah. up with the cash, any ownership group that wants to purchase a team, an expansion team in Seattle. My expectation is there will be probably at least three groups, one of which will be the hockey group, and the, the Seattle Center group, you know that group? I told you about him. David Bonderman is the big Bonderman, money. Yeah. Bonderman is the big money behind the hockey team. I don't think Bruckheimer will be involved in the NBA, but Bonderman is kind of worth $5 billion-ish, and he's 
He's a part owner of the Boston Celtics. He wants to be the the man in an NBA ownership group. A lot of these NBA owners come from other minority investments. So they start as a minority somewhere else, and then they come. I think he wants to own a team and be the front guy for the team. Now, he is 78 years old, I think, so I don't know in four Mm. years where he'll be. But they'll have one ownership group that intends to, to play at Seattle Center, the new Climate Pledge Arena. And they will go yep. to the NBA, to that committee, and say, here we are. Here's our group. Here's how much we're worth. Here's our personal and criminal records. And here's our intention to play a climate pledge. And there will be other groups, like the Chris Hansen group, who will say, here's our group. We're willing to pay. Here's our billionaires. Here's the Nordstroms. Here's Russell Wilson. Here's Wally Walker. Here's another guy that you didn't know. And here's our intention. We're going to build, if we can get Occidental from the city, we're going to build a privately funded NBA-only palace arena, and that's where we're going to play, right? And the NBA, this committee is going to look at all three or four groups. They're going to say, okay, we've got three choices. Here's the one we like the best. And they're going to go back to their owners, the other owners, and say, we recommend that we take the bid from group a, B, C, or D, and then that's the way it's going to – I think it's – that's exa- – and then a few years later, we'll have the NBA in Seattle. Well, I mean, if they're going to start vetting financial records and criminal records, I don't like you and I's chances of owning a team at that point. I, I think uh, – I don't think we're going to make uh, it too far uh, too far through the vetting okay. process. <laughs> by, by the way – Are you, are you humoring yourself? Yeah. <laughs> I do get a kick out of myself. You're going to read an email that's going to crap all over me, so I got to get my shots and run. I can. That's pretty. I know you. you that's you, a pretty vicious shot, though. I mean, uh, think about I, it. I threw myself in there. I, I, well, I was you, talking about myself. You were talking about your financial records, and you had to throw financial. <laughs> and, okay, that's a that's a. Ball. You brought up criminal. I didn't that's, know they even did that. That's a. Uh, <laughs> that's a. Je- yeah. That's a Jeff Kaluli lead pipe to the knee. <laughs> And maybe a little bit above the knee. Okay. I could probably get a hold of him. You know, I, suppose I, have, I suppose they call it unfiltered, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, so I have to take it. Uh, dear Mitch, uh, did wow, I answer all those questions? Dear Mitch, Scott is not only a non-sports guy, <laughs> but he's defensive and passive-aggressive. He's hard to listen to. I fast-forward the front and back end of your show, mm. just letting you know, Norm. Speak to Norm, hotshot from Arizona. Speak to Norm. Well, I think I've made it clear that I'm not the biggest sports fan in the world. Uh, There was a time (laughs) in my life when I was, but for the fifth time, I'll tell everyone, yes, I don't watch SportsCenter every single night and wait and hang on every word, but passive-aggressive? Do do you find me passive-aggressive? I find you not to be defensive and not to be passive-aggressive. Now, he may have listened to the one time that you were defensive and passive-aggressive because he then says, I fast-forward through the front and the back end. So he hasn't listened since, at which time you haven't been defensive or pat. Maybe he only heard the one time you were ever defensive and passive-aggressive. I don't find myself defensive at all. Norm's an idiot. What does he know? He doesn't know a thing. Jeez. Dear Mitch, Hot Shot gets a bad rap, really balances out the show, seems to know a lot more about sports than people give him credit for, signed Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. There you go. Now, see, Marsha, she's someone with some intelligence, so... I, we, we love Marsha. Thank you. I agree. And I just agree so you know, I didn't have to include Marsha's note, did I? No, I, you didn't. I could have pretended that I didn't get any note from Marsha. 
had I known you were going to go down the criminal path against me, I would <laughs> you not have my criminal record. I, I, I would not have included Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. So uh, I probably should have hit the delete button and not, and only included Norm. I should have stayed with Norm after I heard <laughs> right. the shot. Yeah. All right. Are, are, hey, by the way, are we still on the tease here? Is this, yeah. Are we oh, teasing? Shit. Okay. We got to go. Yeah. He's, there, come on. He's got to go, go to Let's sleep. Go. Um, guests. Nice. Can I prom- promote the show? Guests. I like this allotment of guests. Now, I'm going to go backwards. We're going to have Jason Lock and Four. I don't know if you've been reading Jason Lock and Four, but if you asked me, you said, Mitch, who is it nationally that's ahead on the Russell Wilson story? Who's mm. been kind of the national leader on Russell's unhappy, Russell might be traded. There are teams calling the Seahawks right now, talking about trades. He may or may not be traded, but there are teams that are checking, and it's not a secret around the league that Russell Wilson is unhappy with the Seahawks. The one guy that's been ahead on that story is Jason Lockenfor. And I'm not going to out him. I'm not going to say anything more than this. And people are going to say, yeah, this is Mitch sticking up for his guy. When it comes to this topic, Jason Lockenfora is the most connected national member of the media that can write about and talk about this topic. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying anything Hmm. more. I have a question for you, though. So when you say national, but I'm wondering, someone like Jason Lockenfora, he's in Baltimore, is that correct? He's in Baltimore. So would he then know more than the local people who cover the Seahawks every day in Seattle? I think that I'm picking my words closely here. I think that Jason Lockenfora, I'm just going to say, has great connections. Okay. Great little birdies. Can we call them little birdies in his ear? He's got great little birdies that the guys locally don't have. The guys guys locally do a great job. I love them all. They do a great job. I read them all. I promote them all. I've done radio and podcasts with them all. Love them. But they do not have the little birdies in this Mm. particular context that Jason Lockenfora has. I can't wait. I mean, this uh, last time we spoke for the, the P episode, the first thing I said to you was I got off the plane and I checked my phone to see if Russell was traded because it did feel like this, this wasn't going away, this story. We, this we, everyone sort of giggled at the, at the uh, suggestion of trading, you know, the it's king, Russell Wilson, away. but it's, it's not, not going, going away, is it? It is yeah. not going away, and you and I are going to talk about it in the first segment. Not only is Jason Lock and Four going to be on, do you remember Max Unger? Max Unger, the all-pro center of the Seattle Seahawks, who then went off to New yep. Orleans and protected Drew Brees, and now he's retired a mm. year or two. He's lost a ton of weight. You wouldn't even recognize the guy. He's a string yes. bean. He's a string bean. He's an absolute – he's lost like 70 pounds, Max Unger has. I have heard that the offensive linemen, they go one of two ways. They either go that way because they're forced to eat like crazy and keep all that fat and muscle on, or they become you know, 400 pounds after that. So well, he went the other way. He huh? went the other way, and I will, I will say this, that our conversation was fantastic. Seahawks fans are going to like it for a lot of reasons. We talked about his last play ever in a Seahawks uniform. The last time he was on the field for the Seahawks was... When he snapped the ball to Russell Wilson from the one-yard line in Glendale, Arizona, and Russell Wilson threw the ball instead of handing the ball off. That was the last snap of center Max Unger's Seattle Seahawks career. We're going to talk about – we talked about that play. We talked about Russell Wilson being annoyed with his offensive line and airing out his offensive line. We talked about an offensive line's responsibility in getting the quarterback hit. I think 
a very timely conversation with former All-Pro Seahawk Max Unger. I was across the street from the scene of the crime just today, as a matter of fact. There you go. We were at uh, the, the Renaissance in Glendale, and we, I was staring at that building going, oh, God. Oh. By the way, was that snap a little low? Was it a little low to Russell? I can't remember. I feel like it wasn't, wasn't a perfect snap. I don't know. Is that just me? Was it not right to him? With Max Unger on the show, it was right to him. <laughs> Perfect snap. Uh, laces up and everything. Gotcha. So Max Unger is going to be number two. Jason Lockenfour is going to be guest number three. And number one is going to be John Osborne. Now, Mitch, okay. what the hell? You got Max Unger. You got Jason Lockenfour talking Russell Wilson. And you're starting with a guy named John Osborne we've never heard. Dr. John Osborne is one of the top cardiologists in the country. He hails from Dallas, Texas. He's an expert for the American Heart Association. February is American Heart Month. And after having a 15-minute conversation with Dr. Osborne, I thought he was the best doctor that I've ever spoken to about heart disease for a radio or a podcast just because it was so simple. He made it so simple and easy, Mm. not muddy at all. It's very clear. I think it's the most important thing that we can do considering the makeup of our audience, 40-year-old, 45-year-old, 50-year-old guys. I think it's really important, and I just decided with as good as Max Unger is and as good as Jason Lockenfora is, I'm putting – Dr. John Osborne first because I don't want him to get buried third in a three-hour podcast and have people not hear it. Now, if you decide to skip through it, that's your own that's your own decision. This is a very, very important conversation, and he makes very clear what all of us need to do when it comes to heart disease. You realize that four out of ten of us, hot shot, four out of ten of us Americans are going to die from heart failure, heart disease. Four out of ten. Yeah, every year, I don't know if it still is, it sounds like it is, every year the leading cause of death in this country is heart disease. Every year. And it's just, yeah, I know, it's crazy to think about four out of ten. Four out of ten. That means probably either you or me. We're going. (laughs) Well, I'm looking down at my gut after going to In-N-Out Burger three times in 24 hours, and I don't know. By the way, I literally went to In-N-Out three times in 24 hours. The people at Bank of America must be laughing their asses off when they see my, my debit card getting swiped there three times in 24 hours. Who is this fat ass? God, he's addicted, this poor guy. Oh, anyway. God. <laughs> I'm, gonna really give, good, I'm giving you Dr. Osborne's direct line before you get <laughs> Please do. All right, episode the 130, <laughs> the tease was way too long. Dr. John Osborne will be our first guest Max Unger our second and Jason Lockenfora on the whole Russell Wilson debacle is our third guest so I'm in the northwest and Hotshot is in Arizona for episode 130 our partners Evergreen Gov Call tax advisors certified financial planners experienced portfolio managers all working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments all under one roof visit evergreengk.com more than just a financial advisor evergreen is everything wealth 18 locations of Zeke's Pizza now await you as dining rooms are again open at 25% capacity, the newest in Kenmore near City Hall, and a flurry of new Zeke's locations coming soon. I've even started preliminary conversations about getting into ownership. Download the Zeke's Pizza app, order online, some fabulous pizza and beer will be at your door, well, 
in no time in the snow. Valentine's Day at Daniel's Broiler was a raging success. The whole weekend was booked at all three locations. Of course, only 25% inside seating. No place better than Daniel's Broiler for special occasions. A world-class steakhouse. And the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage with 30-year fixed rates in the twos, more and more unfiltered listeners are spending a little time with Jordan Flowers and his team. All it takes to find out the incredible monthly savings of a refinance available to you. 425-250-3150. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. This is episode 130, and it begins right now unfiltered i think the offensive line of the seattle seahawks in 2020 is getting a bad rap an absolute bad rap i think people are going way overboard about the offensive line of the seattle seahawks and i'm not sitting here telling you it's a great offensive line don't get me wrong unfiltered john schneider is not going to trade russell wilson unless he gets more than market value i mean more than market he's going to have to be blown away with another there's just no way they're going to trade russell wilson in his prime for anything less than a gigantic package mitch is unfiltered a terribly long tease section on episode 130. We are now officially underway. We are not together tonight, and nor will we be together until his, his family and dog is tested. We've got Hot Shot Scott <laughs> the dog. live from or taped from somewhere in the Phoenix, Arizona area. That is correct. And I, I got to tell you, before we, we get further into this this uh, this segment, I had a, a brush with fame with two different people down here in oh, Arizona really? that I'd like to tell you about. Sure. One of them I saw and I'm friendly with because of basketball. We see each other. And I swear to you, I didn't have the heart to talk to him. I couldn't do it. And I usually like talking to him, but really? his name is Nate Robinson. Oh, I see him. I've never gone to a boys tournament. <laughs> I know. It's unbelievable. Everywhere. <laughs> everywhere I turn... Nate Robinson is there. And you know where it started? When I took Max to Chuck E. Cheese's in about 2004 in Bellevue, mm-hmm. Washington. Remember the Chuck E. Oh, Cheese yeah. in Bellevue, Washington? Oh, Gosh, yeah, it's still I, there. I think I saw Nate Robinson in the little thing, the pit with the balls. I think he was in there. <laughs> I think he would fit, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. He, he, he walked right by me, and I was like, do I, do I want to ask him what he's been up to? I just I couldn't do it he after he got knocked out. Every I, just, I love tur- the guy, too. I'm telling you, I've been to a 1,000 of those tournaments, both locally and so yeah. out of town. Yeah, yeah. He is at every single one. It is, <laughs> I know. And I've seen, him, know. <laughs> I've seen him run out on the floor. I've seen him run out on the court in the middle of the game. He gets animated. Oh, he does. He yeah. gets fired up. So he's got a daughter that plays? Yeah, he's got a sixth grade daughter named okay. uh, Navy who's around and she's he right. yeah, she's around. So yeah, I saw him and then Okay. While I'm at the game, one of the, it was the second game of the day. Yeah. There's this older guy sitting in the corner of the of the court and he was for the other team clearly and he's doing play-by-play of the entire game on his phone. You're he's holding his phone up. It, a 40-minute play-by-play. I don't know who's watching it. I don't know who he's sending it to. But I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't know. I don't really want to hear this kind of – and I look over, and I'm like, I think that might be Super Bowl MVP Mark Rippon. Oh, Mark Rippon. And Eastern, then I started doing Eastern some, Washington, right? He's not a Seattle Yeah, he's like guy. a Spokane lifer, yeah. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah Spokane yeah. guy. And, and yeah. so the team they were playing were called the Dogs. They had the same Gonzaga. Oh. So it just all started connecting. So, yeah, so Mark – and then during halftime, he's talking to one of the refs and – 
telling the ref about how he played golf with Michael Jordan one time. And I was like, yep, there you go. That would be Mark <laughs> Rippin. <laughs> oh. It's hard to tell when people have masks on. I couldn't quite oh, tell. Mark Rippin. He was as nice as could be, man. Nice guy. You forget, he won two Super Bowls, and he was the MVP in one of them. What Wait a crazy, second. He won two Super career. Bowls? Yeah, I looked it up today. I thought I said he I won th- two. Well, not as Maybe he was the backup he on one of them. Because yeah. I think it was... I don't know. I think Doug it was, Williams was think, it the Doug Williams year? Maybe I think it was Theismann, Doug Williams, and Mark Rippon were the three quarterbacks. Maybe Rippon was a backup to one of those guys. Okay, maybe yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, but he was yeah. the MVP on one year. I couldn't yeah. believe it. Joe Gibbs. And now yeah. he's just just yeah. some guy calling sixth grade play by play in Arizona. It's unbelievable to me that Mark Rippon can figure out a way to call play by play of a sixth grade girls team back to Eastern Washington live. And we can't figure out how to do a video clips of the Mitch unfiltered podcast. We have no idea. <laughs> That's true. Although I, I, I did get a little tip today from a friend of oh, a, a guy who produces a the a show oh. locally. So uh, an introduction's being made. I feel like I'm making some progress, so we should be good. Okay. And there'd be one more thing quickly. Yes. A listener hit me on Twitter and said, hey, your daughter's team just beat my daughter's team. So there you go. A Mitch Unfiltered listener. In Arizona? They're from Spokane, too. A different Spokane team. He wasn't there. He was, I don't know, some mountain or something. But his wife was there. But all these games are are streamed now. You can just, you pay 120 bucks and you can watch every game of the tournament. Right. And Which so is pretty are we, cool. I didn't I mean, know that was a thing. Well, you can listen to the podcast anywhere, too. You know? That's true. Yes, <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, so it was okay. kind of cool having a, a listener say, oh, yeah, our daughters just played. That's cool. So, anyway, there you go. All right. Well, you're going to hear a lot about Russell Wilson and the inside scoop of Russell Wilson from Jason Lockenford later on this episode 130. But I think you and I should discuss it because I, I don't think it's going away. There are a lot of people, maybe some media members that are perpetuating it here in Seattle that are saying, hey, it's a lot of nothing. It's a lot of hullabaloo about nothing. There's no story here. There's nothing to see here. It's about a bunch of talking heads trying to create a story that, you know, while it's a little quiet in the NFL world, I don't think that's the case here. I think there's some legitimate issues and problems between Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. And I think there are teams that are calling. I think that the Seahawks are talking. I'm not saying a trade will be made. There are some complications, obviously, to that. But I do believe that there is a chance and a fairly decent chance that Russell Wilson has played his last snap as the Seattle Seahawks. I just said it. That's right. I think there's a decent chance. I don't know that it's 50-50, but I think there's a decent chance that Russell Wilson has played his last snap for the Seattle Seahawks. What happened to the relationship? I don't really know specifically. I don't want to stick my neck out too much, but it's Russell Wilson and his group not being happy with the Seattle Seahawks. There's just no question about it. I mean, does that seem surprising to you? It is to me in a sense that it felt like they were the same person. The same kind of lines of I don't I don't want to say BS, but you know they have all the right answers. They're, yeah. they're happy and they're they're up upbeat and it's positive. They yeah. just seem like like the same guy. Like like Russell was he was living everything Pete Carroll said. So I, to me, this is surprising to hear. I think the only way to answer that question, I think there was a question in there. Is yeah, I that- asked if you're surprised by this. I'm not overall surprised because I've heard some rumblings in the past. Okay. And I think what's happened, Scott, is we all change. When I was a 20, what was I, 24 years old producer at WTEM in Washington, they hired me Mm -hmm. to be kind of an intern slash producer for Tony Kornheiser and James Brown. 
And I did those things. And as the years went on, I started to, to flap my wings a little bit, stretch my wings a little bit and do some on-air stuff and do some voices and then host some shows. And they always, WTEM always kind of looked at me as the guy I was when I first arrived. Hmm. You know, the young intern slash producer. They didn't look at me as a, as a talk show host. They looked it's, it's, at me as something I've, else. I've been there. Okay, so I, been, that, we've all been there, at KJR, right? KJR, yeah, I was okay. an intern at KJR, and I think they all look. You guys all looked at me that way, right? Okay, well, I don't know that I looked at you. I didn't look at you at all. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, why. That's why I left for Cube. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to get a job here. <laughs> and I needed to go somewhere else to be viewed different. And I came to Seattle, and I was viewed different. I think yeah. what what happened with Russell Wilson, in some small way, is he matured and changed. I think what you described, he was. When he first got here, you know, the third round choice, the guy who's too small to win, the -hmm. guy who may or may not be a backup quarterback. And then what happened? He grew up and he got older and he he went from the little guy from Wisconsin to the Super Bowl champ, the $30 million a year guy. The husband of Sierra, the Hollywood, the, the, the endorsements, he grew. He became something different. And I yeah. think what you're describing is what he was early. They were simpatico. They were the same. I yeah, think yeah. as he's grown older, I think he's wanted more of a voice. I think he's wanted more as he's accomplished more. And they may still view him a certain way. They may okay. still view him as, you know, he's the little guy that we drafted. We plucked out of Wisconsin. He wants to be protected. He wants the organization to listen to him. He yep. wants his voice to be heard. And it may just be that he's not accepting of what they're doing. And he may not think that they're listening to him and that his voice is loud enough. And that's probably why he went public on that radio show or TV show and said, I'm sick and tired of getting hit. You know, that's not a that's not a Russell Wilson thing to do, to go on a radio show and say, I'm sick and no. tired of getting hit. He did that for a reason. And my best guess is he did it because he doesn't think the Seahawks are listening to him. And what he yeah. wants. And so he felt the need to do it publicly. Well, I think that's where we stand. And so I, I, I sent out a Twitter poll that uh, a couple of thousand, maybe 3,000 people answered about what you would do if the Dolphins came calling. I think there are going to be okay. a number of teams, maybe the Dolphins being one of them. I asked the question, what would you say if the Dolphins called and offered you Tua, number three, and number 18 for Russell Wilson? And I gave four choices. Yeah, we're in. No effing way. Let me think about it. And can we keep Sierra? (laughs) Nice. What would you answer? Two at number three and number 18. You trade him. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, I mean, Russell's 31, 30. What's his age? 32. 32? 32. I'm doing it. I mean, how many years do I have to watch a first-round exit? I mean, can we have a first-round exit with Tua? I'm in. If you're asking me, I'm, I'm doing it. You're I, making I'm, that I'm, trade. Especially if he's not happy and, and Pete's talking about we want to focus on the run when your $30 million a year quarterback's like, wait a minute, hold on. No. I'm doing it. I, I think it's time. I think it's time for a move. You and so tw- I'm, I'm in. You and 28.4%. Ah, that's it? That's it. Hmm. Okay. 46.6% said no effing way. Hmm. 22.1% said let me think about it. And 2.9% said, can we just keep Sierra? So when you, when you look at those answers, 
you've got no effing way at 46.6%. And if you add, yes, we're in to let me think about it. So the people, the Seahawks fans, the 12s that would at least say, let me think about it and might just say, let's do it. Yeah. That equals um, that equals 50%. 50% would either think about it or do it, and 46.6% would say no effing way. Now, okay, you may not want to get into this, but you talked about this this weird dead money situation with yeah. him. I'm going to explain it. And you yeah. are going to explain that, okay, because all that kind of factors in as well in everyone's decision. I think we need to do a little bit of salary cap 101 because everybody is writing – about how the Seahawks can't trade him because of the salary cap implications, and it's going to cost too much. And we've even said it on the show, and I tried to do a little bit of it on 129P. I don't think I was fully prepared. I wasn't happy with the way that came out. I think we need to do a little bit of salary cap 101 because there's a lot of people out there, including myself, who might be confused of as to how this works. Yeah. Okay? Like an Eastgate State University, a Bellevue College NFL salary cap 101. Every player has a salary cap number every year. You add them up and you get the team salary cap and everybody's got to stay, every team's got to stay underneath the cap. You all get that, right? To keep parity as much in play. Everybody has the same chance, no matter whether you're in New York or you're in Milwaukee or Green Bay. There's no such thing as the Yankees in the NFL. No Yankees in the NFL. There's a salary cap. The way you figure out a guy's salary cap number is as follows. Let's basically break down the way a a player is paid in the NFL. Most players are paid in the NFL into three three chunks of money when they sign a contract. When a player signs a contract, he inevitably gets a signing bonus. Here's a check from us to you just to sign the contract. Go cash it and go spend it. Buy yourself something nice. Here, you're going to have annual salaries like the rest of us do. Well, you and I don't because we don't have jobs. One person on this show does, (laughs) but go on. (laughs) I do remember paychecks and salaries, but go on. (laughs) So we're we're going to give the player a bonus check when he signs, and then we're going to agree to an annual salary. And then there's a third one where we're going to give players bonuses if they make the team sometimes. That's called a roster bonus. In other words, I might say to you, Hotshot, if you make the Seahawks in 2022, on opening day, if you're on our roster, I'm going to give you a check for a couple thousand dollars or a couple million dollars. Let's just use those three. All right? Did you get that? What what are the three ways a guy can get paid? Bonus money up front, salary, and then incentive money. Okay. Right. Now, would we put like like statistical incentives on that third category as well? Like if if you catch, you know, 10 touchdowns or more, you get a bonus? It's not as prevalent in the NFL. It is around. It's not okay. as prevalent in so the NFL. For the sake much. of the conversation, as it applies to Russell Wilson and most NFL players, we don't need to do That'll just confuse things. So let gotcha. us just deal with these three. Now let's talk about Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, before the 2019 season, he had one more year to go on his contract, which was 2019. With, you know what happens with one year left on the contract, many of these players then sign a new one, an extension. Yep. And they gave this big boffo contract to Russell Wilson before the 19th season. It was a four-year contract extension worth a maximum of 140 million smackers. Here's yep. what they did. They gave him a $65 million bonus check. 
Whew. Essentially, remember, he had one year to go on his old contract. They gave him four years after that one year. Are you following me? Four years yeah, yeah. after that one year. But to sign the contract before the last year of the previous contract, just to sign this contract, they slid over, and they may have paid him in two installments, but for the sake of this conversation, they yep. said, here's $65 million. Go buy Sierra no. something nice. Yeah, he okay? probably bought some really good podcasting equipment, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> This mic sounds amazing, but go on. Yes, I'm listening. Uh, <laughs> and so th- so he deposits a $65 million check. And then they say, here are going to be your salaries, not this next year, because this next year is the, the final year of the last contract. Right. Starting in 2020, here are going to be your, your, your salaries for those four years of that contract. And in addition to that, in 2022 and 23, in addition to your salary – we're going to give you a $5 million bonus check in each year when you make the team on opening day, what I was talking about. You make the team, here's your, here's your bonus of $5 million. Now, you keep hearing, everybody keeps hearing, why does it cost $39 million if they trade Russell Wilson? Well, here's yeah. the reason. In 2021, his salary, now this is salary is money he hasn't received yet, is going to be $19 million. There's going to be 18 weeks, 17 games, right? We're we're increasing it by one game. He's going to get paid essentially a million dollars a week. There's no roster bonus. But that $65 million that they gave him at the beginning to sign way back in 2019, that's got to be accounted for. So what they do with that $65 million hotshot is they said, okay, you're giving it to him now. There's one year left on his current deal, and then there's four in this new deal. That's five years. You've already given him the $65 million. We're going to charge you each year against the salary cap one-fifth of $65 million. Okay. All right? Even though he's already got the money. Sierra's already bought the podcast equipment. It's already <laughs> <Right>. done. <laughs> it's gonna co- and what is 65 divided by five? It's $13 million. That's going to be the number in bonus money that you add to the salary that he's going to get to figure out what his salary cap number is each year. So in 2020 year, 2021, he's scheduled to make $19 million in salary, which he hasn't made yet, plus yeah. the $13 million that he's already gotten. Right. His salary cap number is going to be $32 million if he plays for the Seahawks next year. It's not It's not that complicated. So why is it $39 million if they trade him? How can it be $39 yeah. million if they trade him? That's what people are asking. Well, here's the deal. If they trade Russell Wilson before next year, let's say they trade him to the Dolphins. The Dolphins then would pay the salary. Seahawks wouldn't pay the salary, the $19 right. million. So that $19 million goes against the Dolphins' cap, not the Seahawks' cap. That, that money doesn't count against their cap if they trade him because he hasn't got that money yet. Yeah. But they still haven't finished counting against the cap that $65 million check for the podcast equipment. Okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> so they still have to account for $13 million this year, 
$13 million next year in 22 and $13 million in 2023. The salaries of those three years will go with him to the team that acquires him and will count against their cap. But the Seahawks have still not had a cap hit for the full $65 million that Sierra is buying podcast equipment with. <laughs> So gotcha. because of that, because of that, they take now he's no longer on the team. When he's on the team, they're going to say 13 million this year, 13 million in 22, 13 million in 23. But now yep. he's not on the team. So they take whatever's left, whatever's left that they haven't accounted for, even though he's gotten the money, and they mm-hmm. say, "Okay, you traded him. Here's what's left. This goes on your salary cap this year. And what's left?" 39. $39 million. 13 this year, 13 next year, and 13. That's why the salary cap hit for the Seahawks if they trade them is 39 million as opposed to 32 million, which is his salary plus the 13 million if he plays. Have I I lost you or have I made sense of it? No, you're explaining it. Very well. I just want to make sure I understand that that 39 is in one year. It all goes on one year. Now, there's a way, I think, for the Seahawks to spread that out if they trade them after a certain date, but I don't want to lose you on that because I, I'm not yeah, yeah. finished yet. I'm not finished yet. The Seahawks fans are saying, oh, they're not going to trade him because it's going to cost them $39 million, right? Yeah. Well, it's not even going to just cost them $39 million. Let's take the Dolphins trade that you just said you would do. Mm-hmm. Let's say they trade him for Tua. And the draft choices, a whole bunch of draft choices. Because John Schneider, and by the way, I want you to ask me before we're finished whether I would do that deal if I'm the Seahawks. Yeah, but I have it in my notes. Okay, but let's assume they do that deal. Now they acquire Tua and the draft choices. Well, Tua comes with them, a salary cap number. Same story. The Dolphins have to pay all, the, the salary cap hit from his bonus that he signed after his before his rookie season out of Alabama, the Seahawks are not on the hook for, right? Because right. that's a Dolphins thing. Just like the Dolphins are now not on the hook for the $65 million that the Seahawks gave him in a bonus. That was the Seahawks' decision. The only thing the Dolphins are on on the hook for, for Russell Wilson is his salary because they're accepting the salary that they're going to pay him. And the only yep. thing that the Seahawks would be on the hook for for Tua would be his salary and roster bonuses. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And he's, his salary is probably not as much as Russell Wilson's, I'm guessing. So. <laughs> it's actually his hit against the salary cap is one point something million dollars next year. Oh, I for don't the, know how you live on that. For, for the Seahawks. Yeah. He's much more for the Dolphins if he plays there because it's the salary plus the prorated amount of the signing bonus. It's like five or six million dollars. For salary cap purposes, if they acquire, and I'm going through this because – I'm answering the question whether the Seahawks can do this and, and, and take on $39 million on Russell Wilson. Okay? That's why I'm doing the yep. exercise. Well, if you take the $39 million that Russell will count against the cap and the one-point-something-something million that Tua will count against the cap, you get to something like $40.5 million in quarterbacks, in those two guys even though one of the quarterbacks you don't even have. Yeah. He's not even on your team. Can the Seattle Seahawks operate by having Tua and Russell Wilson cost just south of $41 million? Yep. Big Ben is going to count $41 million against the Pittsburgh Steelers cap next year. Matt Ryan is going to count $41 million 
against the Atlanta Falcons cap next year. So the answer is, yes, you can do it. It's not a desirable position to be in, but think about the benefits if you do do it. If you do do it and you do bite the bullet next year and you do pay $40 million against the cap to have Tua on this team and, the, and Russell Wilson on, on the Miami Dolphins or the New York Jets or the Houston, wherever he might be, the Dallas Cowboys, there's something that you're not thinking about. What then is your salary cap number for those quarterbacks the following year? Well, yeah, if it's, if it's for Tua, then you just pay his salary for the following year, which is a lot less than Russell Tua Wilson. Your number for Tua is – and you're not paying anything for Russell. You're done with Russell Wilson. Yeah, you bit the bullet and you paid the big lump sum. And, and, and you know what position you're in? You're in the position that they were in years ago when they were playing Russell Wilson peanuts and they were able yeah. to spend money on the rest of the roster because Russell Wilson was great and playing for like 800000 Now, Now, two is a high first-round draft choice, so it's more, but the, the point yeah. is still the same. If you bite the bullet in 2021, then in 2022, if you love Tua, I don't know if you do, if you love Tua and you think he's the, a future star like a lot of people thought when he came out of Alabama, now all of a sudden your quarterback position and your salary cap is like $2 bucks, and you've got all this <laughs> money to spend on the rest of the roster. It's like the good old days when you were paying Russell nothing, Sherman nothing, all the, you know, you go out and you could go out and get the free agents. That's, right. That's interesting. And there's the That's explanation. a good position to be in, man. It's a great position to be in. The Seahawks so the they, question they is, with that. So the question is, would you do it if you were John Schneider? Which is a different question, by the way, than would you want John Schneider to do it? Do you know the difference between those two questions? Would you do it if you were John Schneider versus yeah. would you want John Schneider to do it? Well, sure, I know the difference. The difference. I don't for- want to be on the hook if it doesn't work out. <laughs> well, that's not. <laughs> I want him to be on the hook. <laughs> well, the difference is do you have confidence in the number three and number 18 picks? When John Schneider makes those choices. That's the question number two, right? Do I want John Schneider to do it? I don't know that I trust with his recent high high round draft choices. I don't know that I trust John Schneider and Pete Carroll with number three and number 18. That's my first question. They would turn three and 18 into about 47 picks later on in the draft. (laughs) There would never be a pick in three and 18. But yeah, I know people are probably yelling that when I said I would do it. They're like, Hotshot, these guys can't draft in the well, first round. What good is a, th- a three and an 18? They were also yelling something else when you okay. said that. They were yelling. Passive aggressive? No, they were yelling, Hotshot, you don't know anything about sports because Tua sucks and you've got a great quarterback and why would you give up a great quarterback for a, a sucky quarterback? That's also what some people were yelling, which okay. brings me to the final point of the segment. Would John Schneider make that deal? By the way, I'm not sure the Dolphins would make that deal. That's another story. That's another question. That's a question for the Dolphins podcast, whether they would want Russell Wilson for Tua number three, number 18, and probably more draft choices. Schneider's going to want more than even those two draft choices, okay, for Russell Wilson. And the answer to the question of whether John Schneider would do that deal or something similar to that deal is, is the answer to a question that I don't know, I would love to know the answer to, that I think only John Schneider and his team know the answer to. And you know what that question is? Hmm. What do they think of Tua? That's what this comes down to. What does he and his team of scouts and Pete Carroll to a lesser extent, what do they think of Tua? Do they think Tua is 
a franchise quarterback to be. He's going to be special, which a lot of people thought when he was coming out of Alabama, despite the injury. There were a ton of NFL yep. people that would tell you, even though he's small, small-ish, that he is going to be a great NFL quarterback and the face of a franchise for years and years to come. Is John Schneider one of those people? That's the question. Because if the answer to that is yes, having being a guy who watched Tua as long as I watched him this year, I watched every play. I didn't miss a yep. play that Tua had the whole year. And there's a lot of people that are out there going, Tua sucks. He's terrible. They had to bring the other guy in, Fitzpatrick, in to relieve him. He was making mistakes. He doesn't throw the ball down the field. There was a lot of Tua bashing. My personal opinion on Tua's performance this year was this. I think the people like the Dolphins who thought, oh, my God, this guy is the real deal. We just got our hands on when we drafted him, the next great quarterback in the NFL. I think people who thought that saw enough from his rookie year flashes, even though he was bad in certain cases. I think people who felt that way about him still feel that way about him. I think the Dolphins feel that. And if John Schneider was one of those people and his team that felt that way about him, I think he still feels that way about him. The okay. people that are jumping off of the Tua bandwagon were really never on it. So yep, I think the ultimate question as it relates to with Dolphins trade is, A, do the Dolphins want Russell Wilson at this stage? Remember, Russell's got three years left on his contract. Three mm-hmm. years. The second question is, does John Schneider love Tua? You've got to love Tua to make this trade. You can't trade Russell right. Wilson, even for all the draft choices. you got to love Tua. You got to think Tua is a stud. And if you do, then in your mind, you've hit pay dirt because you sent Russell Wilson, the 32 year old, away. You brought a 21 or 22 in that's going to be here for 20 years. You also yep. brought in a guy who's going to be cheap starting next year. It's not going to cost us anything for a couple of years. Yep. It all depends on what the Seahawks scouting staff thinks of him. And, of course, that's just one trade opportunity. The, the phone's ringing. Schneider's having, call, having conversation with a lot of teams. There's no question about it. Yeah, so you still haven't answered the question. What's the question? Would you make that trade if you are the Seahawks general manager? And then I also want you to answer if you would do it if you're the Dolphins general manager. I'm, I want to really put you on the spot here. I would do it if I were the Dolphins general manager. Hmm. I think my team is close enough. We've got a great defense. I think Russell Wilson, for the next few years, puts us over the top. Gives us a great chance to win the Super Bowl. I would do it. I would do two of three and 18 if I were the Dolphins. Okay. I don't know that I would do it if I were the Seahawks. Because I'm not yet sold on Tua. I'm still on the fence on him. I wasn't a guy coming out of college that thought he was going to be unbelievable. I just didn't know coming out of college. I was open-minded. I thought he could go either way. I still think he could go either way. He could be great. He could be a bust. And I'm not trading Russell Wilson as the general manager of the Seattle Seahawks for draft choices and a young quarterback who I'm not sure will be great. Could be, might not be. So I don't think I would make the deal if I were the Seahawks. I'd be a no. It's it's less about Russell Wilson and, and his ability, and it's more about Tua's unknown ability. I think the whole point, trade so is young. about Tua. Yeah. The whole trade is about Tua. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to know what John Schneider thinks of him. <laughs> I would love to. But, I mean, even, let's say Tua's a bust. You, you still get three and 18. Two first-round picks are like gold in the NFL. That's, yeah, that's still a pretty good giving, deal. You're giving away 
a franchise quarterback who wants to play until he's 40 years old. Well, don't we all? <laughs> it doesn't mean he's going to. I mean, you know, he's 30. Like, if, if this was 26-year-old or 25-year-old Russell Wilson, no, no way I'm doing it. But, you know, 32, that's, that's getting up there a bit. And I love Russell Wilson. He, got, he brought me the only Super Bowl victory I've ever known as a Seahawk fan. I love the guy. Here, here's what I would do if I were the Seahawks. I'll take the deal, Tua, 3-18, and 18, and then I'll trade Tua, 3-18 and 18 to Jacksonville for Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> would you really? Oh, yeah. That seems like a lot for Trevor Lawrence. Oh, no. <laughs> you, oh, no. this is a, so, so Trevor Lawrence, in your eyes, is in a different position than, oh, yeah. than Tua was. Oh. This is a can't-miss to you. Uh, well, it's, it's cl- much closer to a can't-miss. Much okay. closer to a can't-miss. Let's put it this way. If the Dolphins called the Jaguars tomorrow and said Tua 3-18 and 18 for number one, mm-hmm. essentially Tua 3-18 and 18 for Trevor Lawrence, yeah. the Jaguars would not only say no, they would laugh in the Dolphins' face. They would hang up the phone. They wouldn't contemplate that wow. trade for a half a second. In the Jacksonville Jaguars world, Trevor Lawrence is a can't-miss superstar. He's, can't, he's yeah. 20-year-old Shaquille O'Neal. He is. Now, huh. he may not be. We'll see in a year from now or two years well, from now. Well, if he's a can't-miss, that means he has to be. Well, <laughs> There's we'll no see. room for he can't well, be. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> anyway, episode 130. Can we do, we'll do three interviews and come back with other stuff? Because we both got a lot of other stuff. I'm ready. Okay, round two time. Make Mitch look silly with investment trivia. Here's Katie Versio, a senior financial planner of Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I think I was one and a half out of three last time, something like that, 50%. Yes. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to see how you do this time. Okay, question one, go. So we've all seen GameStop in the news. Which of the following is correct regarding short selling? Unlimited upside. Two, there's unlimited downside. It generates an income stream or it hedges your position. Well, because Jeff Dix of Evergreen Golf Call was on a recent show, I know the answer to this. It can go up, up, and away. It could go up as high as it wants to go. So there's unlimited downside because when mm-hmm. you short a stock, you're rooting for it to go down and it could go up forever. That's right. Yes. So you're correct. It's number two. There's unlimited downside. So that's why it can be so dangerous because it's unlike if you were to just buy a stock, what we'd call long, where you know the price can't go below zero. All right. I'm one for one. Okay. So with tax season coming up, individuals need to remember to make their IRA contributions for 2020 before April 15th. So for individuals that are under the age of 50, what's the maximum that you can contribute? Is it $10,000, $6,000, $19,000, or $1,000? Yeah, I know the answer to this. For many, many years, even though I'm now over the age of 50, my accountant every year in April would tell me to make this contribution to my IRA, and I would grumble, but I did it. And it was $6,000 every year. Correct. Uh, yeah, you're two for two here. It's important to remember to make those ongoing contributions. I know it can be a little bit of a pain, but you get a little bit of a break because you've got until April 15th of the next year to make them. And if you're over the age of 50, you actually get another $1,000. So you can contribute up to $7,000. Two for two. I'm going for the clean sweep, Katie. Okay. So 2020 was obviously a very turbulent year. Uh, what was economic growth for the year as measured by GDP? Was it zero or flat on the year? Was it negative three and a half percent? 
was a negative 6.2% or was it up 1%? Gross domestic product, right? That's right. I'm going to go down 6%. It was a bad year. Oof, so actually uh, you got that one incorrect. The correct answer is actually 2, negative 3.5%. You know, we saw some of the sharpest decline in GDP back in the spring, in March and April, but the second half of the year actually rebounded quite a bit. So that's why it's not down as much as it could have been. Well, two for three in my second go around. I'm still going up. I'm going three for three the next time. She's Katie <laughs> Versio, and she's a senior financial planner with Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Heart disease can be lots of stuff. It can be electrical problems, arrhythmias. It can be blockages, which is typically what people think of as heart disease. Um, or, or you can have other issues, and the other big area is heart valve problems. So any of those things are truly heart disease. How we deal with them, prevent them, treat them, uh, is really in the domain of the cardiologist to help you figure out that path. We have lots of fun talking sports and other stuff on this Mitch Unfiltered podcast, but every once in a while, it's important to stop and dedicate some time to topics concerning our health. You may be aware February is American Heart Month. Heart disease has been front and center in my family for as long as I can remember. Dr. John Osborne is a Dallas-based cardiologist and American Heart Association expert. Hey, Doc, thanks for spending a little time with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Mitch. It's still the number one killer in America, heart disease, correct? Absolutely, by far. So roughly about a million people in the U.S. this year will, will die of heart disease. Over 400,000, obviously, for COVID, but still a million a year, wow. every year, in and out, will die of heart disease. So it still is by far the greatest killer of Americans out there. What do we know, Dr. Osborne, in 2021 that maybe we didn't even know 10 years ago. Are we still learning new things about heart disease? Oh, every single day. Uh, it's just the, the increase in the knowledge of heart disease, what causes it, what fixes it, what corrects it, is exponential as far as the, uh, our knowledge of the heart disease and uh, how do we fix it. I think what I see from 30,000-foot view is that we have very effective tools to treat heart disease, uh, obviously lots of non-pharmacologic things, diet, exercise, losing weight, watching salt, not smoking, all of those things, which are going to be recommended to everybody to prevent lots of stuff, including heart disease. Some of these things are not modifiable, uh, age, or as I like to say, birthdays, ancestry. Uh, and as it turns out, a lot of these factors are genetic. And as I like to remind my patients, when they have a bad family history of heart disease and strokes, I just remind them that they chose the wrong ancestors. <laughs> so, so there's certain factors we don't have control over. But if you look at therapeutics, things we can do, again, beyond what we call TLC, that's not 10 or 11 care, that's therapeutic lifestyle changes, right. diet, exercise, eat right, exercise, stay high, weight proportionate, don't smoke. But if you need medications to treat blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol, those are the big three things that are really incredibly linked to heart disease. And at the same time, treating and improving those things could dramatically lower your risk. Right. So we've we got great tools, great drugs if you need them. The problem is that we're treating this disease way, way too late in the game. So imagine I were a cancer specialist 
And all I specialized is is in metastatic, widely spread, advanced, going to kill you cancer, right? And nothing else. And you come to me with an early cancer, and I said, well, you got an early cancer. Let's not really do anything about it. Let's wait till it spreads, goes all over the place, you're on death's door. Then let's start treating this condition. Hopefully, you'd run screaming if you heard someone say that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, believe it or not, in heart disease, that's what we've done. Because the problem with heart disease, and when I say heart disease, I'm really talking about the major number one thing, which is the fatty plaques and things that build up in our blood vessels, is that this process starts 20, 30, 40 years before you ever have symptoms, flunk a stress test, have chest pain, heart attack, or whatever. The disease has already been there for a number of years in a, in a way that has no symptoms, wouldn't be tected, detected by stress testing or things like that, that many people think of when they go see a, or hear of a cardiologist. The disease that's there is completely undetected and has, with stress testing and things like that, okay. and, and has no symptoms. Mm. There's the problem. So what we need for the early detection of heart disease, for which we have tremendous tools and and knowledge about how to treat it, the problem is early detection. So what we need, as I like to say, and I'm going to tell you we already have this, but I'm just setting you up, is that we need essentially what I would call the cardiac colonoscopy, right? That tool that easily, quickly, cheaply, effectively says, I got a polyp or maybe cancer, or in the best case, you say, I got a polyp, we take care of the polyp, you never get the cancer. And that's really the, I think we're, we're missing the boat as far as our thinking about heart disease and prevention of heart disease. That technology is out there. Believe it or not, you're going to be shocked. I hope you're sitting down. We've had this technology and we started doing it back in the mid 80s. This is not new technology. Essentially, all it is, it's called a coronary artery calcium score, or we call it a CAC, C-A-C for short, CAC score. And basically all it is, we put you in a CAT scanner, that's the round donut, not an MRI machine, that's the, I call it, there's the coffin, right? Just the the round donut CAT scanners that are available in every community. And any CAT scanner that's been made in the last 10 or 15 years can easily do this. It's no fancy technology. We put you in the CAT scanner, we take a limited CAT scanner of your heart, there's no contrast, no IV, no prep, fasting, non-fasting, doesn't matter takes a few minutes, and generally, most places that do this, you'll get the results back immediately before you even leave. When should we do Sometimes it? Sometimes they just get sent. When should we do it? So What age? So if you're an American, right, I would say think of it as your cardiac colonoscopy. I would certainly say no later than 50. But if you've got risk factors, family history, yep. smoking, yep. diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol, if you have risk factors, you don't want to wait till you're 50. You want to get it earlier. And so it depends upon how many of these risk factors you have. But if you've got a number of these risk factors or bad family history of heart disease, certainly getting it by 40 and certainly maybe sometimes depending on the individual in their 30s is absolutely incredibly helpful. And, and the nice thing with this calcium score is it's incredibly simple. And basically, this calcium score is picking up literally hardening of the arteries, right? You've heard that term. That's what we're seeing. When we do this limited CAT scan, we're going to pick up these calcifications of the heart, and there should be none. So the only normal score is zero. So it's really a pregnancy test for early heart disease. What I don't understand is I've been going to the cardiologist for years. My father had a, my father my father yep. has had a, had a heart attack before the age of fifty, and that's prompted a, that's prompted a game changer for me and my brothers, 
And so Good. I go every year. I take stress tests, I would say, every four or five years. I monitor everything very closely. I've never been put in such a machine, Doc. Why? So, yes, I told you, this is not new technology. We've been doing this since the mid-'80s. However, only until very recently, and I'm not pointing fingers at anything, but medicine moves very slowly, very glacially. We're very conservative. Even though this test is generally less, 100 bucks or less, uh, takes a few minutes. Uh, there is some radiation involved, but it's basically less than a mammogram. Again, no prep, no IV, no fasting, uh, essentially immediate results. The first guidelines that introduced or recommended this to the general population, like you and me and everybody else, only came out from the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology, so the two big heart associations in the U.S., in December of 2018. So they're pretty new, okay. right? Yeah. Uh, historically, we okay. would do things like stress testing. However, I'm going to tell you, as a cardiologist, I might offer or order a stress test maybe four times a year for all my patients. So not to say that they have zero value, but the number of patients we get useful information from it is extraordinarily small. So if I, my concern is you have early heart disease, right? You have early plaque. You got what I like to say is the polyp in your coronary arteries. I like to you know analogize. A calcium score is dramatically more effective. It's going to pick up plaque before you ever get a blockage. Okay. And I'll tell you this. So when we do a stress test, and there's different kinds of stress tests, but basically the bottom line is when we do a stress test, any blockage less than 70% will not be picked up. Correct. It'll yeah. appear perfectly normal. Right. Number two, 25% of the time, there will be a severe blockage, and the stress test will miss it. That's a problem. Number three, 25% of the time, the stress test will look funky, abnormal, and in the old days, we'd take those poor people to the cath lab, the heart cath lab or the cardiac catheterization lab, spend $20,000, take a day of your life, put you out, put catheters and tubes in your groin all the way up to their heart, hopefully no strokes, heart attacks, infection, bleeding occurs, or complications from the procedure, only to find out you're fine, even though your stress test looked funky. So for all of those reasons, stress testing is in no way an early detection tool. It's only a late detection tool. And even then, it's going to miss 25% of the people who have severe blockages, unfortunately, inappropriately reassure them. And then 25% of the time, start a, uh, uh, you know, a fire drill, which ends up in expensive testing yeah. that basically shows you're fine. So a calcium score is really the, uh, the best. Uh, f a, a fantastic, okay. underappreciated, underused uh, tool for early detection of heart disease. So okay. get your calcium score. Let Mitch. me let me throw. I will. I will. I will. I, and Thank I'm, you. I'm glad. Make me happy. I'm glad. Make my day. I'm glad that I don't have Put to go up, business. I don't have please. to go up the mountaintop on the uh, stress test anymore. Let me get a couple nope. quick hitters from you because there's some building block things okay. that I, I want I want to uh, throw at you. The big seven, smoking, physical inactivity, yep. nutrition, obesity, yep. cholesterol, diabetes, and high blood pressure. Let's define good exercise. Yep. Define good, solid exercise. We're not training to be in a triathlon, but just good, yep. solid exercise. Very simple. Do something most days of the week. We're going to say five days a week or more okay. for at least 30 minutes. So 150 minutes a week is, is your investment, which is a modest investment. Do something that gets your heart rate up and get you hot and sweaty. 
Now, what that is is really much less important than doing something that gets your heart rate up and gets you hot and sweaty. I think people go into conniptions about aerobics, non-aerobics, isometrics, non-isometrics, high-intensity training, blah, blah, blah. You know what? That's a detail. The biggest thing is move, right? Most of us in 2021 and, and even before COVID, just, we just don't move, right? Most of our stuff that we do, jobs, vocations, don't involve much, if any, physical activity. So the key thing is move, get your heart rate up, get hot and sweaty, do it most days of the week. We're going to say at least five days a week for at least half an hour. That alone translates to a huge cardiovascular benefit and preventative benefit and helps prevent high blood pressure, diabetes, overweight, everything else. Okay. So on, on the exercise aspect, okay. there's, there's the answer. Very simple and easy. Cholesterol and high blood pressure. Millions of Americans take a statin for their cholesterol. How often should we get our cholesterol and blood pressure checked? And should we have a little machine at home doing it regularly or are they not reliable? You're really incredible, Mitch. You're on top of this. As far as blood pressure goes, and remember, I'm a cardiologist, so I have a very small brain, so I hope I remembered all those questions <laughs> inherent in what you just asked. So as far as blood pressure goes, if your blood pressure is normal, that is less than 120 over 80, and we just changed these numbers a few years ago, by the way, so listen up. If your blood pressure is normal, less than 120 over 80, which is normal, you're good for a year. If you have blood pressure above 120 to 129, I'm just quoting from our latest guidelines, that is elevated. That's no longer normal. And you should check your blood pressure every three to six months to see if it's changing, elevated. At the same time, eat right, exercise, don't start smoking, watch your salt, all the things that help to control blood pressure. We wouldn't give you drugs. If it is above 130 on the top, above 80 on the bottom, and that's a big change from before. It used to be above 90. Now, if it's above 80 on the bottom or 130 on the, on the top, that and consistently, that is high blood pressure. That needs to be treated. And if it stays that way, you need drugs after diet, exercise, weight loss, watching salt, doing all the good stuff I told you. And these are the new guidelines from only, well, just over three years ago that came out in November of 2017. So very different uh, new numbers for the definition of high blood pressure. As far as home blood pressure monitoring, yes. uniformly across the board recommended for all of my patients because here's the issue. If you have high blood pressure, I want you to check it and, get, and bring to me real-world numbers. I'll check in the office. I might get a number or two. I always check blood pressure at least a couple times in the office, but I want to see lots of numbers out in the real world so I understand how you're doing out in the real world. Number two, if you have high blood pressure, so it's controlled. Number two, from the age of 40 onwards, and one of these days you'll hit 40, from the age of 40 <laughs> onwards, the lifetime risk of developing high blood pressure in the United States is 90%. It's like going to the casino. You've already lost the game, right? The odds are against you. Okay. So because of that, I think everybody should be keeping an eye on their blood pressure. The digital blood pressure cuffs and monitors are actually quite useful and quite accurate. So highly recommended. Okay. If I suspect you got a blood pressure issue because you're an American, um, yeah, I'm going to tell you, get one, check it at home periodically. Okay. Uh, and if you certainly if you have high blood pressure, that, that's really part of the whole strategy I'm going to recommend, that you're checking and monitoring your blood pressure at home as well, because it is the silent killer. Where? You have no idea what your numbers could be. Where are we on a daily baby aspirin to keep the blood thin? Yeah, great question. So I'll make it really simple. Um, if you've had a heart attack, balloon stents, bypass surgery, those things that we call established cardiovascular disease, 
unless there's a good reason not to take an aspirin, which is basically bleeding or an allergy, yes, you should be taking a baby aspirin today indefinitely. For people that we call primary prevention who have not yet had balloon stents, bypass surgery, heart attack strokes, it's a little dicey. It somewhat depends upon your risk, somewhat depends upon your risk of bleeding, which is the main concern with aspirin. However, I'll make it simple. Get a calcium score. If your calcium score is 100 or above, you should be taking an aspirin. If it's below 100, and, and even better if it's zero, then the risk of aspirin, which is really bleeding, is greater than the benefit. Okay. So gets back to get your calcium score. And as far as statins, and interestingly, relating this to calcium scores, if you have a zero calcium score, which is the only normal score, your risk of a heart attack for the next 10 years, solely based on that data, I don't need to know what your family history is, activity, smoking, blood pressure, cholesterol, whatever, your risk of a heart attack is less than 1%, very, very low with a zero score. Conversely, if it's not zero, any non-zero calcium score, your risk now goes up to 20%, one out of five over the next 10 years, which puts you at the same risk as someone who's already had a heart attack. In which case, if you look at the role of statins, there are many people out there who are on statins, taking the drugs, never had a calcium score because somebody thought that their cholesterol was high, but remember, when I measure cholesterol in your blood, I'm measuring cholesterol in your blood. I have no idea whether it's sticking. So if you give people statins, which are very effective drugs and quite well tolerated most, and they're cheap, if you give somebody statins who have a zero score, there is no benefit because they don't have the disease. The benefit of statins is in people who have non-zero calcium scores, and the higher your calcium score, the more benefit you get from cholesterol lowering because we're actually treating the people who have the disease of atherosclerosis detected early, long before it ever translates to the sudden acute catastrophic event that we call a heart attack, a stroke. And by the way, these plaques, if they're in the heart, we call it a heart attack. If they're in the neck, we call it a stroke. It's the same stuff, treated the same way. For our smokers out there, Doc, who have been thinking, uh-huh. I've been smoking for too long. Stopping now is not going to make a difference. I saw a recent Mayo Clinic finding that research shows the decline in risk happens the day after quitting. It's never too late. Absolutely. In fact, I'll tell you, uh, to, to further amplify that, if you quit smoking, and when I say quit smoking, I'm, I'm talking about using tobacco. I don't believe there's any safe form of tobacco. I don't care whether you smoke it, snort it, chew it, inject it, rub it on your skin, use it as a colonic, whether you vape it, there is no safe form of tobacco. And here's the reason why. The lining of our blood vessels, called the endothelium, literally has nicotine receptors. When these nicotine receptors are activated, our vessels get sticky, and you do not want sticky vessels. We want our vessels to be like Teflon, not like Velcro, right? If you quit smoking, but again, any tobacco use, one year later after quitting smoking, yes, the benefit kicks in the next day, but a year later, simply by quitting smoking, forgetting you know, doing anything else, I'm going to recommend all of these factors are controlled. But if you do nothing else, quitting smoking one year later, your risk of a stroke or heart attack is 50% lower simply from quitting smoking in one year, right? But that benefit begins in a day. But by a year, you're out to a 50% reduction by simply not doing something. Wow. Those are big numbers. Impressive numbers. Yeah. When it comes to a cardiac event... I'm assuming that the vast majority of us, we are given warning signs and there's time to identify. It's not for everybody a quick, 
you know, sudden death, as they like to say. What are those warning signs? What are we looking for? What, well, what is it? What is it I, that would prompt you, us to call nine one one? So I'm going to tell you here, Mitch. This is the problem with heart disease. First of all, a only kills forty percent of us, right? Four out of ten deaths. More than the next seven causes of death, including cancer and COVID. That's pretty astounding. Good news is we've been lowering the risk of death from heart disease year after year from 1985. 1985 was peak death from cardiovascular disease. It's been lower and lower every year since then, up until 2011. In 2011, it started going back up again. And a lot of that is related to diabetes, frankly, because we've got less people smoking. We're, we're better, not perfect, on identifying and treating blood pressure and better on treating cholesterol. Uh, but the big thing that's occurred is we really have a, an increase dramatically of diabetes. And here's the problem. So 40% of us will die of this disease. Many more will get it, but not die from it. But 40% will die of fatal strokes and heart attacks. And here's the problem. Half of men... Only two-thirds of women, I like to say, facetiously. <laughs> Half of men, two-thirds of women. The first symptom of this disease is when it kills you. Oh. So most people with heart disease, there is no warning. Oh. And, and the problem is we think of heart disease as a pipe problem. It's a narrowed pipe problem. Well, that can be an issue, and that can cause symptoms at, at what we call angina, so heaviness, tightness, pressure, that may or may not radiate your neck, jaw, back, shoulders, that may or may not be associated with nausea, sweating, shortness of breath. So that occurs, and if you have symptoms like that, you need to go see somebody to get that taken care of. You need to see your healthcare provider, cardiologist, right? Because you could have a severely narrow blood vessel. However, most of the people with heart disease, it's not really a pipe problem at that moment. It's going to be what I call a pimple problem. So what happens is you build up these plaques over decades, right? They're these fatty collections of buttery-like, soft, fragile fat, like butter, but they're generally not causing a blockage. So therefore, you're not going to pick up these as causing symptoms. You're not going to pick them up in a stress test. But when these little pockets of fat rupture, and that takes seconds to minutes, we then form a blood clot where that pimple popped, if you will, that plaque popped, we call it rupture in our world. And that is how you go from, I feel fine, normal stress test last week, no symptoms, to I'm having a heart attack. And then once that starts, we'll lose about half men, two-thirds of women, because they'll just go on to promptly die. And then those that didn't die, the half of men, the one-third of women, then by that point, you've already got stuff going on. You're going to need to probably get to the cath lab, need $50,000 stents, $100,000 bypass surgery. But remember, this condition started decades before you had that first symptom. So that's why early detection is critical. Obviously, listen to symptoms. If you had the symptoms I described, those are actionable symptoms. However, the problem is that's only going to pick up the, the tip of the iceberg as far as heart disease goes. We really need better tools. And I think we already have those tools. I would argue we already do. But they're just tremendously underused. But I think you will find, because now they are endorsed by the ACC, the American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology, only a few years ago, unfortunately, maybe late, but I think you are going to be hearing more people getting calcium scores and early detection of heart disease. And ultimately, if we detect the disease early, we have incredibly effective tools to stop it. We can reverse heart disease. The problem is we need to know who to treat and conversely, who, who not to treat. Okay. 30 seconds. You've got 30 seconds to speak to the 45-year-old guy who's listening to this podcast. Tell him what to do. Eat right. Mediterranean diet wins every time. Google it. Do not use tobacco. Stay active at least 150 minutes a week of activity. Doesn't matter what you do. 
get your heart rate up, get hot and sweaty. Get a calcium score. I'm going to tell you, uh, that, that's a fantastic tool. If it's zero, you, you can kick the can four years down the road. You're great for four years, right? There's a four-year warranty. If it's not zero, then you need to talk to somebody, and it means we need to really address your cholesterol. Even if your cholesterol is normal, it needs to be lower. And obviously, stay active so you don't develop diabetes. But if you have diabetes or high blood pressure, definitely, definitely, definitely do not ignore those things. They will kill you and cripple you and have those issues addressed with you and your healthcare provider. Dr. John Bingo. Osborne, bingo, in Dallas, a Dallas-based cardiologist and an American Heart Association expert on this February American Heart Month. Thank you so much for your expertise, and I wish you a happy and healthy 2021, Doc. You too, Mitch, and ultimately my goal, and thank you for having me on today, ultimately my goal, if you listen carefully to what I said, is please put me out of business as a cardiologist, right? <laughs> I want you to put me out of business, please. Thank you. All right. You take care, Mitch. Hey, Zeke's Pizza continues to grow. New locations popping up, and now we're allowed back in the restaurants at 25%. Here's Dapper Dan Black. Hi, Dan. Hey, Mitch. I'm sure you can hear the excitement in my voice over the new nickname. <laughs> Not so new. Dining rooms <laughs> opening is really good for lots of reasons more than just selling pizza and beer, right? That's right. Of course, selling beer and pizza is great. But the psychological boost and just the sense of potentially a light at the end of the tunnel here a little bit, I think that's the main thing with having dining rooms be back open. It certainly gives our crew a bit of a lift to see some faces that haven't been around for a while come back in. But then for our customers too, going out to a restaurant is a sign of normalcy. And, and even if it's only at 25% capacity right now, like I say, I think it's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, and, and it's just it's a good psychological boost for everybody. Does pizza and beer delivery actually decrease, Dan, when we open up all the restaurants and all the options for diners? It does go down a little bit, both in terms of people coming into our dining rooms, but then also more restaurants just being open. But I'll tell you, we're unequivocally in the mindset of it's better for us, it's better for everybody to have dining rooms be open and heading back towards normal. And so what, what we lose on takeout delivery is more than made up for, uh, like I say, is dining rooms coming back. So Kenmore near City Hall is number 18. Tell us about 19, 20. I'm hearing about a 21st location. Yeah, actually, we've, I've signed a couple deals since the last time we talked. We've talked about, again, Kenmore being open, Mill Creek and Mount Lake Terrace being in in the pipeline uh, signed a, like I say a couple more deals and so you can add Burien, White Center and Seward Park onto the list and then nice. like I say there's there's two or three more coming soon some deals are signed I'm just not ready to announce them yet superb download the app the Zeke's Pizza app order visit them on the web at Zeke'sPizza.com have some pizza and beer delivered to your door or visit them at one of the 18, soon to be 19, 20, 21, 22 locations. We love Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. After 10 years in the National Football League, Kailua Kona's Max Unger recently announced his retirement. And with the NFL offseason training programs beginning tomorrow, the after Unger era officially begins. Now that your playing career is over, you think of all pro, three-time pro bowler, Super Bowl champion. Are you able to be satisfied? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, um, it, it definitely is becoming more and more special, you know, I guess. The more I think about it and take a step back. 
as we continue this episode 130. Joining us now on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is a guy who was one of my all-time favorite Seahawks to cover. And I say that because he's on the line right now. He was a very good football player for 10 years in the NFL. And even a better guy, he's former Seahawks All-Pro center Max Unger. Hey, Max. What's going on, man? One thirty—that's a strong number uh, on on the episode count, man. That's uh, that's pretty good, man. It just uh, the podcasts are where it's at right now. Well, yeah, we're we're blessed. The, the podcast has been great. The listenership has been awesome, and people kind of like it, and they like it because they get a chance to hear from guys like Max Unger. I saw a picture of you the other day, and I swear. I didn't believe it was you. How much weight have you lost and, and why and how? And tell us the story, please. Yeah, no, that's kind of the, uh, that's always been the plan. You know, you're, the moment you get into the NFL, everybody starts preaching at you about retirement, you know, having a plan, blah, 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 blah. So when I got done, uh, my plan was just to, to lose weight, you know, and, and, and I'd always weighed about 300 pounds. And it was kind of a good transition right after, you know, you retire, you're like, you know, what the hell do I do? Well, I just started to diet pretty hardcore and uh it worked out well you know i dropped about 60 pounds took about a year but um it was actually fun you know so what do you <laughs> as strange as, as strange as that sounds what but. are you tipping the scales at now and what were you in your last year in new orleans so my last year in new orleans a 305 i always kind of played right around there and i'm yeah. like right around 245 right now so and what kind of diet did you go on uh you know i counted calories for a while so i mean i i ate pretty much whatever I wanted. It's just, you know, yeah. I get 2,000 of them a day, right? And then uh, I just stopped drinking and didn't eat a lot of sugar. Wow. So. You look good. You feel good. Yeah. You, you almost look small. I'm starting to think at 53, I might be able to take you. You look you look so small, Max. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I do. It's so funny because, you know, like now you kind of look at me and you're like, oh, it's, you know, it's just kind of a tall guy. At least when I was like fat, like you kind of knew what you I did for a living, though. right? <laughs> you weren't fat. I never thought of you as like, uh, you never were like a roly-poly offensive lineman. You and I, we were just reminiscing before we started. Yeah. You and I saw each other at Chambers Bay at the U.S. Open. I think that's the last time you and I were in the same place. And I thought you looked fine. I never thought of you as the guy that, oh, after football, he better lose a quick 60 pounds. That's that's true. It's I guess it's perspective, though. Man. That, oh, that is funny, too. I forgot about Chambers Bay. That was a cool golf tournament, oh man. God. I tell you what. Oh, my but God. But anyway. So living, <laughs> living the life in Hawaii, you're out of the game for two years. You sm- I don't know. Are you a golfer? Do you go out and play? What do you do with all your time, Max? My peak golf was probably honestly in Seattle. You know, this was so my wife was pregnant right when actually when I got traded in 2014. And so, as we all know, the golf takes a little bit of a decline when you have young children. But uh, I have a lot of fond memories of golfing up there, man. We had a sweet golf squad. It was like me, Golden, Jermaine, B. Walt, Hauschka. We had a, we had a, we had a nice. pretty solid squad up there, man. But, uh, <laughs> but no. you know, I don't golf that. I don't golf that much anymore. Really? You know, it's just, hard, it's hard to get away. Hawaii, Hawaii. I mean, the big islands got like unbelievable, unbelievable golf. Unbelievable golf, just, right? Yeah. It's just hard to get out, man. I got, you know, kids in school right now. So uh, how, soon that's on the short list. <laughs> how old are the kids? I got uh five and three. Five and three. Oh, you're busy. Yeah, you're busy. Oh, Yo, yeah, yeah. So, I'm in the thick of it right now. So you're retired a couple of years. You spent 10 years banging NFL heads and in, in the trenches, a bunch of car accidents, I like to call it. How, how are, I mean, I, I think it's a serious question, really, and I, and I mm-hmm. hold my breath with you guys, the guys that I know, the guys that I love. 
are you feeling good? How you? How's your head? How how are you emotionally? How are you mentally? Are you concerned about life after football from a health perspective, Max? Absolutely. You know, you you kind of see guys. Well, you know, more and more, I think people are realizing how much maintenance it takes during and after you play uh, really any length of time in the NFL, right? This is not the NFL of old where you just kind of, in the off season, you just kind of let it go. And during the season, you know, nobody ever does treatment. And so once you kind of realize that that's what you have to do to have a, you know, a high quality of life after playing, it's it's easy to, to kind of get into a groove and, and, and make sure that you're doing the things that'll make you feel good. But I feel all right, man. You know, I work out, I walk a lot, I do, do yoga and, and I kind of try and do the stuff that that made me feel good when I played football. I saw somewhere that you said you want to be around high school football. Are you going to do that? or So I need to. You know, high school football has changed a lot also, by the way. Like, the schedule's kind of gnarly now, man. I mean, it's like a year-round deal. But uh, I, I, I need to coach, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that that is a community thing that, that I need to give back to. As soon as I get a little bit of free time, I'm, I'm definitely going to look into that. Because it's, it's funny, you know, you have all this information trapped in your head and you just, like, you, <laughs> you have no outlet for it. Right. <laughs> well, you got to share it with some of the younger people. So there you go. Let, let's reminisce about Max Unger's 10 years. You started every game that you ever played. You protected Russell Wilson and Drew Brees. You opened up holes for guys like Marshawn Lynch, multiple Pro Bowls. I think you were a first team all pro one year. You got a Super Bowl ring and a runner-up. You made good money. I can't imagine that Max Unger has many regrets, except <laughs> except for maybe the choice of colleges. Outside of the choice of colleges. Oh, <laughs> that hurts, man. Actually, if you want to go back down there, it was really my only scholarship that I had to, to Oregon. Oh. Yeah, no, I uh, at Oregon State, they either said they were going to offer me or they never did, but that was the only one I had in writing, so it was an easy decision uh, for me. But uh, in hindsight, it worked out well for me. But I get it. How do you, I, I totally get how, it. <laughs> how, do you, how do you view your 10 years in the NFL? Um, you know, I, I think you actually hit it, man. I, it's pretty easy for me not to have, uh, you know, regrets. I really do think that, that when I retired, like, uh, I had nothing left. Um, really? You just kind of think, yeah. I mean, I knew it was that my body, you know, was was hurt. And, like, I didn't think that I was playing at the level that I, that I was used to playing. And, and once you're there, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to cope with that mentally and physically to, to get your body back to playing where you think it should be. And um, it's, you know, you look back and you, you see, you know, all the things that you just said, like um, it's, it's, it's easy to, easy to hang them up after, after being able to play for 10 years with the, with guys that I was able to play with, you know, you're supposed to say the right, I'm going to give you the right answer, Max. Now we can talk to we can, we can, coach, we, coach me up. Yeah, I coach coach me you up. up. You're supposed to say, <laughs> I only have one regret. It was one play in my NFL career. Oh, That's what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to say, Mitch, no, no, no. Actually, Max, here's actually the right answer. If I'm being fair, the, the right answer Let's is the right yes. answer is I have two regrets. I have yes. w- one play regret in Seattle, and I have a regret that I was on a lot of good Saints teams, and we never quite got over the top in New Orleans. Yeah. Those should be your two. Yeah. That's what I would say if I were Max Unger. Oh, you know, I've <laughs> I've gotten I've, I'm co- I've coped with the Super Bowl, the second Super Bowl. Like I've you know, shit happens, right? I mean, right, that's right. just that's just football. Somebody made a good play. You know, we we. You can kick that can down the street as long as you want, but at the end of the day, you know we were most of the guys on that team were able to win one the year before. But man, back to back would have been cool. Um, as far as the second part, I mean, you know we had good teams in New Orleans. We we really did, and it just I guess honestly it speaks volumes to how hard it is to win. 
I mean, you, you yeah. look at our team yeah. in 13 in Seattle and we had, we had a squad. We had a very, very talented football team. And, and in New Orleans, we had, we had a team that was, you know, as talented and for whatever reason, you know, we could never get it done. And it, it it's just hard, man. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Winning, winning is a skill too, though, but man, it was tough. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say you've coped or you coped with the Super Bowl a long time ago. I don't know if you are following, but your, your old teammate, Cam Chancellor, I love, I love Cam. We all love Cam. He, he wrote an article for, for a website in which he said, now you were gone. I think that was your last play, right? That was the last, no. that's the last game you played here, right? You were traded right I'll after always, that. I, was, I will always remember my last play as a Seahawk. So, <laughs> one, of my buddies, one of my buddies wanted me to tweet that out as my uh, like farewell to Seattle. Oh, oh God. God Cam says, it's funny, you say you cope with it. Cam says... It was a cloud that lingered for the next many years. We couldn't escape the dark cloud of what did we just do there and why did we do it? Yeah. Obviously, you got your arms around it because you went off to New Orleans and started kind yeah. of a new career. Can you – am I allowed to ask you to take me back? I mean, you're in the game. You snapped the ball. You snapped the ball. Yeah. When that play came in, Everybody still rehashes. Should they have just yeah, given it to yeah, 24? Yeah, yeah. When that play came in, did you have any kind – do you remember having any kind of tangible reaction What with like, oh, we're throwing it here? Or did you just – you're just a center. You're getting going to do your job, and you never even thought twice about it. So it was an empty play, right? It was a scat. It was a five-man protection. And after we called the play and we run out, I realized they had goal line on the field, which is 60 linemen. We only got five linemen, so right off the bat – it's not good. Right. So, you know, we turn the line, all five guys one way, and it's just a straight up free hitter, you know, hot right off the bat. Anytime you do that, it's bad. You have a free hitter coming right off okay. the edge. Okay. But it's a, it's a quick, right? It's a quick snap and throw, isn't it? No, it's not. I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean, they for, they forced it, right? We didn't think that they were going to be in goal line. They were in goal line. And so you're, you're basically, the play is going to happen right then or it's not. So it's a, it's a low percentage. It's a, it's a boom and bust play right from there. But I mean, shit, I mean, I can land, if I have to start thinking about this in bed, like <laughs> kiss, kiss my sleep goodnight. So, I mean, I, it, it's just, it sucks. It was more than just losing the Super Bowl. It was the back to back. That was how many teams have done that? Three? Two, I mean, I don't, I don't well, even know. Well, there's more. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been a long time. So do you think that the right thing to do is once you see what they're in to call timeout? I don't know if – I don't remember if you have another timeout. Yeah, yeah you I do don't, have I don't, I don't we, remember. We, we have another timeout. Yeah, should we, should we reset and – oh, they're not – that's not a good defense to be running this play against? <laughs> you know, I mean, I've played this out too many times in my head. Yes, <laughs> no, maybe. Who knows, man? I mean, it's – it's uh, again, what Cam said, it was a cloud. And, I mean, like, I'm – I caught shit for that everywhere, and everybody wants to talk about that. And I, the answer, honestly, is there is no answer. It's just the yeah. it's just a tough play, man. Yeah. Well, the fact that you guys had won one the previous year, boy, did that soften everything, right? Could you imagine? Yeah. Could you imagine if that were the only <laughs> shot you had? I mean, you guys oh, did have a ring. You already brutal. had a ring from the previous year, yeah. right? I know, no, no, I know. And you know, it's it's weird. You know, when you win a Super Bowl and um, you're the very like from child, you know, from childhood. You know, you you look at the top of the mountain, and then all of a sudden you're there. It's a weird feeling, man, to kind of like look down and realize that like the only thing that you can do is get back up there. And we were there, and that also is is, is more of it too. To be to you know win one and be back at that level of play and be so close is just it's gut wrenching. You know, for your two years out, you're obviously busy with young kids. Do you find yourself mm. watching? Football? football on Sunday, not what paying attention or not. 
Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll throw the games on. I, I took a pretty good break, though. I, uh, you know, the the first year, the first season I was out, I really didn't watch any football. And uh, this season, I watched a little bit more. Um, pretty casually, though, you know, I I don't really follow the, you know, the, the 24-hour news cycle right. um, anymore. But, uh, you know, the NFL is, is as big as it's ever been. And, uh, you know, it's cool to watch guys that I played with, you know, out there doing their thing. But um, it is interesting, you know, once you're uh, – you know, once you retire, you're not in the club anymore, man. It's a it's a lot different when you you don't know the day to day, right? And that's kind of the weirdest thing. You don't know what the game plan is. You know, you don't know what the red zone list looks like. You know, when I'm watching the Saints, and so it's 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 interesting. Have you followed or did you see that there's a lot of uh, rumor around all of a sudden Russell Wilson's future oh. in Seattle? He said he said Max Max. How how does an offensive lineman feel when, when the quarterback? And we love we love Russell. He goes on yeah. a, he goes on an interview and he says. Somebody says, are you frustrated with the Seahawks? And he says, you know what I'm frustrated with? I'm tired of getting hit. I'm tired oh, of getting dude. hit. That does not feel good for an offensive lineman. That stings. <laughs> oh, my. I, I got that article sent to me by so many people. Oh, it was hilarious. You know, I, I mean, and I haven't really followed, like, honestly, I haven't really followed the Seahawks too closely. You know, I do know Mike Solari, though. Mike Solari coached me my rookie year. Mm-hmm. You're going to be ready to play the game, you know. And, and I and I know, um, you know, a handful of the guys on the O-line just, you know, from uh, just their names. I don't know personally. And, right. and I don't know what's going on, you know. But I, I also did know that he's been – sacked like 500 times yes, yes. in nine years or something yes yes but so but here's what i've been saying on our show and i'll say it to you and it's not bs i you know there's there's lots of reasons that a quarterback gets hit it's not all about the, the offensive line yeah. the offensive line is one if the offensive yeah. line doesn't protect the quarterback gets hit but but there's play calling reasons uh, yeah. a quarterback gets hit there's holding on to the ball reasons a quarterback gets it there's slow developing plays deep down the field right it's not all about the offensive line yeah no you know and here's the thing like russ is going to do his thing right like part of the deal with being a quarterback you know that that has made not his whole career but a lot of it off like scramble drills and just make you know making plays and getting out of the pocket man you're going to take some shots right if you stand in the spot and you're stepping up at the pocket it's a different deal but you know russ has just killed it thrown so many unreal plays outside of the pocket when you do that you're gonna get hit but at the same time it does sting when it does sting <laughs> as an o-line when you hear that <laughs> now you you were uh, you were the center of two maybe of the greatest uh, let's call them short-ish short-ish quarterbacks <laughs> i mean they're not short i mean yeah, short but yeah. but but in terms of nfl history when it's all said and right. done drew Brees and russell wilson will probably be the greatest two six-foot quarterbacks yes. in the history of the nfl what was it like though obviously very different one guy sets yeah. up behind you and the other guy rolls around and and improvises a little bit more right i think you just nailed it so so russ was also young you know i think he was uh, 12 draft class right yeah three years i played with him his first three years um and he was developing you know and i, I think later in you know the time that i played with him he was he was staying in the pocket a little bit more but like you said i mean like you, you're hanging on you know you're you know your guy's gonna go somewhere and russ is gonna make a play and so that was that was kind of our deal with Russ when he was there. And then just kind of as far as Drew, I mean, Drew's, Drew's, Drew's a great player. I mean, there's not – I mean, I've said the guy that you see on TV and you, you hear when he gets interviewed is the person that we get, you know, on the field. And it's pretty cool, man. I was very, very, very lucky to have – those caliber of quarterbacks and go and hey man going back to like Hasselbeck and uh, yeah. and T-Jack too yeah. I mean I yeah. played with I played with some awesome quarterbacks you know being a rookie and having having Matt be our quarterback it was um it, it was good those guys really taught me you know what what the league was about 
Before you go, I, I saw something about you saying to New Orleans media that the phone call to Drew Brees when you decided to retire was one of the most difficult calls you had to make. Describe that call to us. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I, I got to play a lot. Of, I got to snap him the ball for pretty much every play for four years. And, um, you know, his performance meant a lot to me. And I think that it's it's incredible to watch him play. If you're around him, even if you're not, you know, you see you see what he's been able to do in his career. It, uh, the bar is so much higher for him than, than anybody else. And just not being a part of that and, and, and kind of saying goodbye to all that was it was tough. But cool thing is, you know, the Saints drafted a really good player um, right they, behind me. And, and, and he's yeah, he's been he's been stepping up and, and everything has been good. What did Drew say? Did he try to convince you to stay for one more year? No, 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 no. I think he, he knew, and uh, and I knew, okay. and, I, and there wasn't really going to be any persuading, uh, kind of having me call it. So I'd, I'd made my mind up, and so far I haven't regretted it, and uh, that's encouraging. Well, let me let me just say this, Max, and I said it at the top, and I really mean it. You know, I've been I've been here for 25 years and covered a lot of Seattle Seahawks players, and you remember certain guys as just guys that you liked being around and that were always gracious with their time, and you're one of those guys. I, I always liked Max Unger. I wish you the very, very best in your post-football days out there in Hawaii and hope that we can have you on the program every once in a while. Absolutely, man. I need to get up there one of these days. I'll, uh, I'll be in touch, but uh, no, thank you very much. I, uh, I you know, look back with some pretty good memories back in, uh, in Seattle and to you and, and everybody up there is awesome. So thank you. Thank you, Max. Okay, take care. Next up on Mitch Unfiltered, John Waterstrat, owner, Fireside Home Solutions. John, 2021 is going to be a better year for all of us. You and I rarely talk about your outdoor units and your fire pits, and I'm loving what I'm seeing on your website at firesidehomesolutions.com. Talk about that arm of your business. Yeah, great question. Our manufacturers that create the indoor fireplace create outdoor fireplaces. So we have everything from an outdoor fireplace that's fully made to be outside, stainless steel, and also fire pits. We can take that great gathering space that we have inside and create one outside. So again, on those cool, spring and summer nights that you want to continue to spend some time with your friends, we can turn those fireplaces and keep everybody warm. What's the latest on scheduling, delivery, installation timeframes on your end as we enter the new year, John? Great question, Mitch. Uh, we've been very blessed with great manufacturers. They've held steady to their uh, schedule. We're still able to install units between three to four weeks, so not too late to buy. We still have this cold January snap that we're going through in February. Just had a windstorm just the other day. So when those power outages come, you can throw that insert on and keep yourself warm in your home. And by the way, while fireplaces pay the mortgage at John Waterstrat's place, that's not the only thing you guys do at Fireside Home Solutions and do very well. Yep. Uh, we not only do fireplaces, but we do do garage doors. Garage doors has been a great business, something we've got into five to six years ago. Again, it's a very complimentary business. And when we design indoor spaces, now we can take the outdoor of your house. A garage door makes up about 30 to 40% of your home on the front view. We can change that up for you, give you a traditional look, modern look. We can install it design it and then same thing as our fireplaces we can service it for life so it's been a great business and we just were able to do my uh, golf club at linden and put all nice. those doors in there nice what would mitch unfiltered be without great partners like fireside home solutions and john waterstrat start your search for a fireplace or garage doors at firesidehomesolutions.com unfiltered
What do you make of uh, CBS Jason Lock and Forrest saying that Seattle had gotten you know calls for uh, possible trade talks with you? Do you believe that? Yeah, I definitely believe they've gotten calls for sure. I think that uh, it's part of the process. Yeah, but you're a franchise quarterback. You're a Hall of Fame quarterback. You're not available, are you? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm available or not. That's a, that's a Seahawks question. <laughs> Friday, 130 continues. Jason Lock and Fora brought to you by our friends at Fireside Home Solutions, John and his staff all over the Northwest to help you with great new fireplaces, fire pits, even garage doors. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. JLC, how are you? What's going on, my friend? I hope all is well out there in the Pacific Northwest and you're enjoying your winter wonderland. Happy <laughs> Valentine's Day, all that good stuff. How was the Super Bowl? Was it weird? Yes. Yeah, it was weird. Florida's a little little laissez faire for my blood. I uh I like I like my COVID policies based in science and fact. It's like the wild, wild west down there, man. It's something else. So yeah, you know, was only down there Thursday to Sunday. Did not leave the hotel room very much and in all honesty that's I think what C B S preferred anyway, given how many people we had down there, given what a you know, what a wide-scale operation it was and um, how closely we had to work with one another. Anything to mitigate the risk made sense. So, yeah, definitely the strangest Super Bowl of my life. What would you think of the game? Were you surprised? No. Um, oh, look, no. I was surprised that Kansas City didn't score a touchdown. I mean, I thought they'd walk in with 21 points in their back pocket. That's pretty much been the history of the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes uh, era, brief as it is, is, you know, you're going to, if you hold them to 24, you did a pretty good job. So, no, I didn't think that they would be held to nine. I also didn't think they would have a super prolific night. I had them losing 30 to 27. I thought the lack of a run game would be a problem. And more than anything else, I thought their offensive line would be a massive problem. And I really liked what where Tampa was defensively, getting Avita Vea back, getting healthier on the back end. So, yeah, I didn't think it was a great matchup for the Chiefs. I thought they'd be beat up at the point of attack on both sides of the ball. Saying all that, I still thought they'd score 24 or 27. And honestly, if they catch a couple balls, you know, a couple balls that hit guys in the hands, balls that hit guys in the chest, balls that hit guys in the face mask, if they make a couple of plays that the Chiefs always make, it probably is 30-24, you know, something like that. But, uh, no, I thought Tampa would be the better team. I thought Tom Brady would get another ring. I thought Leonard Fournette would make an impact. I thought they'd win the turnover battle. And, uh, you know, and then obviously when the situation happened with Britt Reed, I, I just have a hard time thinking something happens like that a mile from your facility, you know, in, involving a five-year-old and a four-year-old. And, and that coach is on his way back from your facility after a day at work and you're a day and a half from leaving for the Super Bowl. And he's the son of your head coach. I, I, they're human beings. And I, I just felt like that was going to be a major mo- emotional and, and mental hurdle for, for Andy Reid and some of his staff and, and certainly some of those players. Let's move to Russell Wilson with Jason Lock and Fora. You wrote the piece on Super Bowl Sunday. It's funny, Jason, around here, the consensus is, and it's kind of perpetuated by certain members of the media, that this is a bunch of bullshit. It's just something It's just something to write or talk about because we don't have anything else. Now, I don't believe that. I think where there's smoke, there's obviously fire, and I trust you and your sources better than I trust anybody. He may very well be the starting quarterback here in September, but that doesn't mean that there isn't plenty going on behind the scenes. 
this is a thing. It's a big thing. Uh, it's been festering. That doesn't mean that it can't have a happy ending. But if someone's trying to say nothing to see here, they're either not paying attention or they're under uh, the team's thumb or somebody's thumb who would try to create an ulterior universe where everything's hunky-dory and all this stuff's just coming out of thin air. And they'd also have to be at this point, but like beyond a contrarian, because I don't know, 36 hours after my column came out, Russell went on the radio with Dan Patrick and pretty much confirmed everything that was in there. Like, I, I mean, for Russ, you know Russ forever. I've known Russ forever. We know how image conscious he is. We know how protective of his brand he is. And we know that the last thing he wants to do is publicly rock the boat. For him to say what he said spoke volumes. And trust me, that's how it was recognized in that organization as well. That created shockwaves. So I, I don't know how at this point you could try to pretend that this is hunky-dory and it's a media creation, but, I mean, you would know more than me. I don't live out there. I don't really pay attention to what other people are reporting or are saying, especially on something like this where I, I could not be more one million percent, you know, comfortable with everything I wrote than I am. What's he angry about? Inform us. Start from the beginning. I don't know if I would say angry, first of all. I would say concerned. I would say frustrated. I would say a little disillusioned. I don't know that, I don't know that he's angry. And I think all of those emotions I just listed come from a, a, will, a want and a desire to win and a knowledge that, you know, going into year 10, I'm not who I was year one, year two, year three, even year eight. And each hit's a little harder to get up from, from the last. And when the expectation is you're going to probably be among the most sacked quarterbacks year in, year out, and you're probably going to have to freelance quite a bit. And you're not necessarily going to be in an offense that has a track record of being among the most forward-thinking, progressive, nuanced in the NFL. Um, you know, when you're sitting there watching highlights of the Chiefs, you're watching all the Super Bowl coverage, and they're showing what the way things are being schemed up there, and you're thinking, I don't know that I have that. And you have guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady probably reaching out saying, hey, as hard as you work, you get around 35, things get a whole lot harder. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many people is in your traveling party, how many massage therapists you have, how many nutritionists you have. You know, at some point, they've got to start doing more for you because your max, your 100% ain't what it was at 30 or 25. And the sooner they make that reality, they understand that reality, the better it's going to be for you. Don't let them take you for granted. Make sure they're providing what you need in terms of protection, in terms of scheme, in terms of play calling. Uh, because if it's about being us and joining our club and winning multiple Super Bowls, and I can just tell you, he is absolutely consumed with playing as long as Tom Brady, getting as close to Tom Brady as he can possibly get. And he's sitting there seeing Brady call his shot like Babe Ruth and pick his team and go somewhere where you're not going to be pressured much and you go 20 for 29 for a couple hundred yards and don't turn it over and you can win a Super Bowl. 
that's going to relight a competitive fire or keep that fire stoked through February and March the same way it would be making a playoff run in December or January. And I think when that extension was done, and we talked a whole lot back then about how rocky that was, and that wasn't just like putting a hand in a glove, despite all the wins and all he'd done there. That thing got a little sideways a few times, and I think there was a sense that when he did re-up, that he was maybe going to have a little bit more of a voice, was going to be, the process would be a little more inclusive, and that there was an understanding that we can't just trade for a Dwayne Brown every four or five years or do something along those lines and think we can get by with whomever else. Or if we're going to take swings at the offensive line, when we swing and miss, we got to do something else to rectify that hole. I think a lot of that kind of built up. And there is a concern that are things ever going to change? Because at the end of the day, the bottom line for Pete Carroll, and it was expressed explicitly at the end of the season, was when things aren't going the way they should offensively or the way everybody hoped they would be, the answer generally tends to be, we'll just run the ball more efficiently. I don't think that Russell would answer that 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 question the same way in his heart of hearts. What would his answer be? Protect me better? I think it would be protect me better and and adopt some of more of 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 the concepts of motion, of horizontal passing game, doing some of the things behind the line of scrimmage, around the line of scrimmage that you see in Andy Reid do for a Tyreek Hill. The the run game plus the seven step drops and and trying to, to put an overemphasis on getting vertical. And yes, they have pieces that can do that, but maybe that's not where it's at. A little bit more of a of an in-between. Is the reaction that you can tell by the Seahawks to all of this, wah, 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 or we take you seriously in this offseason, we're going to do something about it? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know that they've had the kind of substantive conversations it would take to entirely put this thing to bed. And I think the reality now, Mitch, is other teams, and there were teams who smelled blood before I did. I mean, I honestly feel like I was a little late to this party, and I'm kicking myself for that. Because there were certainly rumblings and chatter in some other front offices about, hey, it's not all, you know, roses and uh, chocolates out there in Seattle. And if Aaron Rodgers is popping off, and if Deshaun Watson wants out, and if the 49ers aren't sold on Garoppolo, if there's going to be all this kind of quarterback movement, then let's take their temperature out there. Let's let's monitor that situation. Let's make some preliminary phone calls. And that, that process is going. And the reality is any professional athlete can be traded at any time. Okay, with certain exceptions where maybe you just signed a contract that would take a $60 million cap hit against your team if you traded you or something like that. But almost every athlete at any point could be dealt. And I don't think that John Schneider and Pete Carroll necessarily know what a Russell Wilson trade would look like or that they've spent a whole lot of time concocting certain scenarios and saying, okay, this is what our dream package would be. But it doesn't matter. that doesn't mean that John Gruden and Mike Mayock won't call them one day and say something that all of a sudden now we know what a Russell Wilson trade looks like because it's for what they just talked about. Teams aren't going to be any less motivated now to see if they can make this happen. So it's, to me, it's almost like you've kind of got two parallel tracks, one that is somewhat controllable, 
given wherever the tenor of these conversations go between Russell and his people and the Seahawks and, and whether those do become more productive or terse or tense, okay, they can kind of control that to some degree. But then there's this whole other scenario of where now there's a lot of teams looking at this saying if we can get Russell Wilson, it could be an absolute game changer for our franchise. And, and those teams are not going to stop sniffing around and feeling it out and making quasi-offers or offers. So I think that's just going to be something that plays out into the offseason. Is Russell Wilson too image conscious to ask for a trade? I don't uh, – yeah, I don't think that's where he is right now. I, I don't – you know, I, I think there is some possibility, some chance – a reality where he, he's back there. I, I don't think he's ready to push that button. And I think, you know, you kind of said it, the way he's wired, I, I don't, you know, I don't know that that's in him. But I also don't know, given where things already are and sort of how off the rails things have gotten, that he would even have to do that. Because the perception's out there that he's less than happy with how things are playing out there. I mean, it's not even perception. I mean, again, he he's verbalized some of this. So... Teams were calling. Teams have continued to call. Teams, as they're having their draft meetings and their free agent meetings, are having internal discussions about how far they'd be willing to go for this quarterback or to get that quarterback. And Russell's one of those quarterbacks. Maybe nobody comes close to meeting whatever the price would be. And, again, I don't, I don't think there is a set value on him right now. But there's a lot of time between now and the draft. And that's a lot of time for – for, for, for this relationship to kind of be mended and for there to be a little bit more of a bedside manner or for there to be a, 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 some bridge building. But as of last week, that's not where we were. And I, I honestly, I haven't talked to anybody this weekend. But as of a few days ago, the, there was still a ways to go in terms of these guys getting on the same page. Those that refuse to believe the Hawks would entertain the thought of immediately trading him, keep mentioning the salary cap, he'd have a $39 million plus whatever the next guy costs salary cap hit, which makes it very uncomfortable for the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, could you do something after June the 1st and spread it out over a couple years? Do the Seahawks just absolutely refuse to entertain it because of that fact? You also may have the opportunity, though, to have so many young, cheap assets that the value you're going to accrue from that over multiple drafts offsets it. You floated the Raiders. What teams do you think would seriously consider this? Would my beloved Miami Dolphins trade a bunch of picks in Tua for Russell Wilson? They could win right away. Yeah, I think the Raiders absolutely are interested. The Saints are interested. Miami's interested. The Jets are interested. Now, some of these teams are also interested in Deshaun Watson. So this is kind of a fluid situation here. I think the Raiders really make a ton of sense. I do. And, and the other thing, too, with the cap that is there could be a way that Russell restructures his contract as well in advance of a trade that perhaps could provide some cap relief but not cost him any real money moving forward with his new team. Yeah, look, him and, him and Sean Payton would be a thing. Um, 
I, I know Sean would absolutely move heaven and earth to make that happen, but their cap situation is really bleak, and the timing just might be off. But I know they've they've talked about it internally, I and mean, I know they've made at least an exploratory phone call or two. But I, I really keep going back to the Raiders and, and the big moves that Mark Davis has made that people would have said, me included, there's no way that'll ever happen. There's no way he'll ever pull that off. There's no way anybody will do that for him. And all that's happened, and he's got a chance now to potentially make uh, an iconic move on the field with his roster as well uh, to go along with the new stadium and moving to Vegas and getting his boy John Gruden. What would that trade look like? I mean, Derek Carr, I, I don't know what his cap number is. He comes in, so they got to now count $39 million of Russell Wilson's uh, bonus against the cap next year. They got to count Derek Carr. They've got to, I mean, are we talking about, uh, I mean. Well, I don't think it would have to be Derek Carr. Okay. You know, if you don't want Derek Carr, you could, it could be Mariota and a boatload of picks. Um, What's a boatload? There could be other players. What's a boatload? There could be other players involved. It could be multiple players who aren't making a boatload of money plus picks. I I don't think uh, the Raiders would have any lack of flexibility or creativity to try to make something like that happen. They could always trade Derek Carr somewhere else, too, if they can't unload him in this trade, if that doesn't make sense. I mean, if not out of the realm of possibility, there's some sort of three-team trade. That would maybe ultimately get a Sam Darnold or something like that back to Seattle. Yeah. When you say a boatload of picks, what does that mean? I mean, if there were no players involved in that trade, three ones and three twos? Wow. I mean, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, given some of the moves that have been made in this league the last few years. I mean, this is a guy who was willing to give John Gruden 10 years, $100 million. So I I don't think they're going to obsess over draft picks because he also now went from the lowest revenue in the league, him in Jacksonville, to now with fans in the stands in that beautiful new stadium that basically Sheldon Alverson had built for him. He's going to be making money hand over fist. You're going to have the gambling situation going on, sponsorships out the wazoo. I don't think he'd be averse to trading a whole bunch of picks. You're not going to have trouble luring free agents to Las Vegas. You know what I mean? To play with play with Russell Wilson. And the offense is plug and play. I mean, if they get Russell Wilson and they sign three or four defensive free agents, you, 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 can, you can make a run. As you sit here with me today, and then we'll get off of the Russell Wilson thing, as Jason Lockenfor talks to Mitch today, what part of you thinks that they would trade, that there could be a trade between now and opening day in September? What part of Jason Lockenfor feels that? What part of me? Yeah. Um, my right big toe. Uh, no, I, I have no what part. I was trying to be funny there. I, I think it's. I mean, I think it's an. It's a realistic option. I, I don't know that I, I. I think it's more likely than not, but I think it's certainly plausible or possible okay. that somebody makes them an offer that they feel like okay. they can't refuse. Okay. It wouldn't shock me at all if if it happened. Quick hitters. I'm going to ask you a few questions. You don't have to go long. Just give me some immediate thoughts. Anything new on your thoughts on Deshaun Watson? They say they're not trading him. He says he's not. Well, I don't think he said he's not playing, but he wants out. Clearly he wants out. How's, it, how's this going to end? Um, I think this will get uglier and fester. And then at some point around the draft, I think Nick Casario goes to the owner and says, okay, look, this is what we can do here. You know, do we really want to have this hanging over 
our heads and our best player doesn't want to be here and isn't showing up. And all anybody's asking me and David Cully about is a guy who's not here rather than all the guys who are here while we're trying to start a new program. So, yeah, I think he gets dealt around the draft. Give me a couple possibilities. The Jets, the Dolphins. Boy, I mean, 49ers? There'd, be, there'd be any. Now, the Panthers, the 49ers, yeah. yeah. The problem is with, the, with where Miami and, and the Jets are picking, it's hard to compete. You know, it's hard to compete with second overall, third overall. Carson Wentz. He'll eventually be dealt to the Colts or the Bears. I've always thought more likely the Colts. That's another one where they got their roster bonus. It's not due for another three weeks. And honestly, I think some of these teams are inclined to say, well, if you think you're going to get a first round or anything close to it, you're going to have to eat that $10 million the way you ate an $8 million roster bonus on Sam Bradford a few years ago to eventually get a one for him when Bridgewater got hurt in Minnesota. So I never thought that one was fast-tracked. I was astonished by some of the reporting, you know, breathless reporting hour by hour. Oh, now it's even closer than it was five minutes ago. Oh, no, no, now I promise you it's like really, really so, so close. Oh, it's the closest a trade that hasn't happened has ever been to happening. That's just That was just a lot of bullshit around the draft. I mean, around the Super Bowl. I, I don't know who was being fed what. But they have yet to get anywhere close in terms of value and an equal evaluation from the Eagles and another team on, on what Carson Wentz is worth. I do think they'll get there because desperation drives most deals like that in this league. It drove the Stafford golf deal. And I think the, the Colts and the Eagles are really, really desperate. And the Bears are too, but they're also misguided enough to just bring Trubisky back for one year, five million bucks plus incentives and try to cast their lot that way too. J.J. Watt. I mean, I, I've been saying since November, when I first reported he would not be back in Houston in 2021, uh, that Pittsburgh or Green Bay were two teams that he was incredibly interested in. I, I think he'll be able to call his shot here to some degree because I don't think the money's going to be all that significant. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's he's you know still a good football player. He's not a great football player, and there's serious questions about durability and all that his body's been through at this stage. And I really think this is about going somewhere where he thinks, where, where it, it pulls on his heartstrings a little bit, where he has some ties, either through his brothers or through growing up there. And uh, he wants to obviously try to win this year because his football mortality is staring him in the face. You wrote a little something about Shaquille Griffin in a recent column. How does, that, how does that play out? Well, I mean, if you can tag him around 15 million bucks, I, I think that probably makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's what people around the league expect. That's probably what Shaq is, is kind of bracing himself for. Uh, I don't think he'd be enthusiastic about that. And that does give the opportunity to get something done long term by July. But, you know, they talked a lot in the summer and the fall, early in the year. We're not able to really come to terms. The corner market has obviously jumped had the Marlon Humphrey deal. Stratavius White deal wasn't so good. Obviously, he had the Jalen Ramsey reset the market. So he fits their scheme. He's a really good cover three corner. I guess it was a little up and down with him this year. But, you know, you've got an interesting dynamic there with him, who's been there the whole time, and Jamal, who just got there, and how they spread their money around and, and make that work um, remains to be seen. I love you, Jason. Great, great work on the Russell Wilson stuff. We'll be reading all of your work on CBSSports.com, obviously. And uh, I guess the offseason, when there really is no offseason in the NFL, has begun. Right. Has begun.
Thank you. It has. No, it's all good, though. Never a dull moment. Always appreciate catching up with you, buddy. Hope you and the family are well out there. We are. And uh, We are. Always my pleasure, brother. Let's talk soon. Sounds good, buddy. Thank you. Look who's here. Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office to Gill Mortgage. Jordan, it's great to have you back. Give us an overview on what's going on in your world. Thank you. The market is incredibly hot. 2021, interest rates are still low, and people are taking advantage of interest rates in the twos still. They're also getting pre-approved with us to win offers on buying a house with how hot the purchase market is as well. So if you're considering selling a house these days, this is a, a great time to do it. It's a fantastic time to be looking at selling your house. If you are considering selling, this is the optimal time to be doing it. You can reach out to our team if you don't have a trusted real estate professional. We work with a lot of top 1% brokers in the area. If you have a trusted real estate professional, I'd advise you reaching out to them if you are thinking about selling your house because the inventory is so low. We're seeing multiple offers upwards of 20 to 30 bids per home and prices escalating the hundred, two hundred thousand over list right now in a lot of areas. For those of us that are thinking about refinancing and calling you and getting the numbers, how does how does inflation play a part of all this? Yeah, we saw a scare here the last week with rates starting to tick up with some concern about inflation, which is bad for long-term debt, so your bond market. We've had a kind of stabilizing and rebound a little bit. Rates are still in the high twos, but if you were thinking about giving us a call and just seeing if any numbers work, now would be the time to do it. Five or eight minutes on a phone call with either Jordan or a member of his team. We'll uh, let you know what the numbers are and whether it makes sense for you and your family and the best phone number to reach you guys. Office line still 425-250-3145 and the cell phone's 425-890-2957. We love Jordan Flowers. We love the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. Three interviews in the books, one important with the cardiologist from Dallas and two very interesting from uh, Jason Lockenfora and Max Unger, the former all-pro center of your Seattle Seahawks, whose last play, last snap, the last snap he ever did as a member of the Seahawks was from the one-yard line in the Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona. Weren't you at that game? Did you go sure, to that Super Bowl? Of course. Yeah, I was there. Oh, you were right there. Right there. Ah, I had to do the a scene post- of the crime. I had to do a post-game show across the street in a restaurant after. It was the world's worst. <laughs> oh, that's worst. right. Oh, my. I can't believe they, they got you to work while you're down we there. Had I mean, pa- what happened to you? We had Patriots fans dancing while we were doing the doing the uh, oh, oh the worst oh the worst and they had to be patriots fans too could have been any other fa- the most obnoxious fan base on the <laughs> planet too oh yeah all right uh, other stuff segment you go first you know, uh, you're a big Taylor Swift fan. You look like a guy who likes a nice Taylor Swift song. I do. I'm sure you don't. Do I you do. really? Yeah, why not? Have you, have you been following what's going on with her? No. I, I think this no, is I kind need of an a expl- cool thing that an artist is doing. I need an ex- I need some pop culture fixes from you before we finish 1.30. I need to know about Taylor Swift. I need to know about Britney Spears. I can't go anywhere without seeing a Britney Spears story. Now there's a documentary yeah. out about it. Yep. I don't know why her father controls her money. I'm, I, I must have been in a coma for a few years there. I don't yep. know. There's something about the dude from Bachelor. There's something from Justin Timberlake. I'm all I'm all <laughs> yeah. confused. So go ahead. Start with Taylor. 
Taylor Swift, please. Well, she's she's trying to stick it to this guy named Scooter Braun. He's a record and other record execs who've come to control her catalog. You know what that means? They own the rights to all her music since she left Big Machine Records and she settled at UMG. So she wasn't able to get the rights to her master. She tried. She wanted to buy him back. So what she's doing is she's trying to well, she's re-recording all of her hits, trying to devalue the masters that he has. She's like, oh, you're not going to give me the masters. I'll just re-record them word for word, note for note, and then I'll have my own masters of those songs, and we'll see how valuable yours are, big boy. So uh, part of me loves this. I I love that she's trying to stick it to him. It's awesome. She's the highest paid act out there right now? Is she the biggest star, music star around? Or no? Beyonce. She might be, you know, her and Beyonce. Take your pick. I got a couple sports ones for you. James Paxton is back for the Seattle Mariners. Okay. He's back. Yeah, I'm, the I'm, big, I'm with you. <laughs> the, the Big Maple. The Big <laughs> right. Maple is back. I guess you don't care. The Big Maple no. is back. He's going to make eight and a half to ten million dollars. He was traded to the New York Yankees for three minor leaguers on November the nineteenth, twenty eighteen. In those two years for the Yankees, he made thirty four starts. He had a fifteen and five record a couple years ago with a three point eight two ERA. The Seattle Mariners got in that deal. Justice Sheffield, Eric Swanson. And Dom Thompson-Williams, the last two, you guys, you would never know. Justice Sheffield is going to be a stalwart. He was the he was the main piece that the Mariners got in that deal. He is going to be one of the top rotation starters for the Mariners this year. So now they got, they got Paxton back, and they still have the main commodity from that trade getting ready to blossom, hopefully, into stardom for the Mariners. How about that? I love it. And then another mm-hmm. one I've got, J.J. Watt. Have any interest in J.J. Watt? He's available, free agent, cut by the Texans. But he's going to either go. They they say he's either going to go to Pittsburgh or Green Bay. Pittsburgh is where his brother is? Is that why? Two brothers. Both brothers are with the Steelers. Yeah. Think about the mess down in in Houston. The Texans, if they lose to Sean Watson, which it looks like they're probably going to, J.J. Watt and Clowney, they got really nothing in return. They're going to get nothing in return for any of them. Who's running the show down there is what I'm wondering. Hold on a second. Now okay. the the emails are going to start pouring. They're going to get. What do you mean they're going to get nothing in return for any of them? You don't think they're going to get anything in return for Deshaun Watson? They're going to get the. <laughs> it's going to be the biggest trade in the history of the NFL. It's going to be Herschel Walker. They're going to get like five first round draft choices for the guy. I don't know what you mean by Herschel not, Walker. Really, that kind of trade? It's going to be. It should be the biggest trade. I mean, there's a 25 year old franchise quarterback. If the Houston Texans trade Deshaun Watson, they are going to get a lot back. They're going to get huge back. So I, I wouldn't say that they they lost those three guys and got nothing back. I don't know. I don't know how yeah, you figure that. JJ Watt. Just the fact that they lost those three. It's just weird. Oh, JJ Watts at the end of his career, he's got like one or two years left. He's not nearly yeah. the player that he once was. In fact, they, they released him. They didn't have to release him. They released him. They're ready to go a different way. They didn't want to spend the 17 or 18 million on him this year. I don't think that that's a, a bad thing for the Texans. As for the clowny thing, yeah, I guess. This reminded me of you today. An Australian woman won a lottery jackpot worth more than a million dollars. She carried the ticket around for over a month before she knew it was a big winner. Is that going to be you? Have you checked your freaking tickets yet? I did. You did? I did. And the fact that we're doing the podcast means you did not win. I did not win. <laughs> I would have been texting a picture of a middle finger, lose my number. I'm moving to you know Mexico. That's, 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 that's what I was expecting to get if you won, but you did not win. I okay. did not win. Have you been following this? It's been going on for a while, and I meant to bring it up, but the the girl, the woman who put super glue in her hair. Yeah. 
They did a thing on Saturday Night Live about it on Saturday okay. night. Yeah. I haven't caught up with yeah, those, but yeah. the gorilla glue for those the gorilla oh, glue. Yeah. 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 It's like super glue. It's it's like really strong. She slicked her hair back. Because, I don't know. She just liked the way it looked. But then it was on there for like a month and she, she couldn't get it off. What do you do? Your hair is full of super glue. So <laughs> luckily, a, a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon performed a $12,000 procedure for free to help her get the glue out oh, of her hair. Oh. And I, I don't know how I don't know how Dr. Michael Obang did it. But there's <laughs> you can see her like running her fingers through her hair. He's a magician. It's crazy. Uh, so the whole thing took like four hours. Wow. And um, yeah, she's now saying she's now saying, um, yeah, please don't do that, everyone. But a fellow Louisianan, if that's a word, he apparently didn't believe the situation was that bad because he glued a plastic cup to his face and then paid the price with half of his lip having to be cut off oh. to get the cup off. Uh. So please stop. Just go back to eating Tide Pods, everyone, and leave the super glue alone, for God's <laughs> what, sake. Whatever happened to good old Elmer's that you could eat? You could drink. <laughs> and the paste. Remember paste <laughs> yeah. as a kid? You could eat the paste and stuff. Hot shot I used to love the way rubber cement smelled. Go on. Hot shot <laughs> bumpy start by Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. I don't know if you've been following this. He hired a guy by the name of Chris Doyle to be his strength coach, his first strength coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is the same Chris Doyle who, when he was at Iowa, made racist remarks, belittling remarks, and bullied yeah. his players at Iowa. Urban Meyer said, I've vetted him. I've known him for years. <laughs> Nothing bad is going to happen here with the Jaguars. And a few days later, he fired Chris Doyle. <laughs> they didn't fire him. They say that they say that Chris Doyle resigned. But oh my God, Je the world turned on Urban Meyer. Not that it already hadn't done that with Urban Meyer before, yeah. but people were killing him when he hired this guy. Like forty-eight hours, seventy-two hours later, the guy was gone. And Urban Meyer said, "We might have been a little tone deaf. We may have not. We should have paid better attention. We're sorry. Let's <laughs> well, just go." So, do on. you think? He, do you think he's telling the truth and that? Or, so do you think he knew about all this stuff and thought, well, he's a different guy? Yes. Or do you think he truly didn't know about it? Like, no, what, he knew what do you about think, it. What do you think the truth is? No, he, he knew, knew about it yeah, and thought, well, he'll be fine oh, here. There's never any question. He's never claimed to not okay. know about it. He okay. Ju he, just, he just, you know, essentially gave him his <laughs> stamp of endorsement, and uh, the world said, you're a jackass, and then he yeah. fired him. All right, I, I, I hope Max reads this story and learns a lesson really quick. A okay. freshman at West Virginia University got arrested for barreling down a snowy street. You probably did it at Syracuse in a plastic laundry cart, <laughs> and he nailed a police cruiser in the meantime. <laughs> he is cruising really oh. fast. It looks awesome. And I hope you're sitting down. Um, alcohol was involved with this kid. Okay. Oh. Uh, Josh Beard was partying with friends in the fresh snow. I guess it's a tradition at West Virginia whenever the town gets blanketed. He turned the plastic cart into a sled, but you can't really steer those things. So at the last second, he bails out of the cart, but the cart just punches right into the front of the police car. He takes off running, but of course was caught by the police. He's been charged with disorderly conduct, underage drinking, destruction of property, fleeing from an officer, and playing in the streets. Who knew playing in the streets was something you can get busted for? You know, that, well, you know why that's not going to be Max? <laughs> why? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on a little something that you don't know. Okay. Max, and God knows what will happen. You know, people change. But Max, since he was a kid, was always kind of anti-alcohol. He never hmm. liked it if we drank. He never was interested. He never was interested in trying it as a high schooler. He has been all of his life. Now, he's a freshman at Washington, and yeah, in the middle of COVID, and who knows what will happen next year and junior year and senior year and what's going to happen in his world afterward. 
we'll see. We'll yeah. kind of wait and see. But it's been very interesting to watch him. He's kind of been – he's kind of had his, his, his hand up to alcohol in a lot of different hmm. ways since he was a little boy. Very proud of him for that. Well, that's, that's good. I, that's the kind of thing you want to wait until you're married because that's when you really need it. Larry Flint <laughs> celebration of life next weekend. <laughs> Sniff. Larry Flint celebration of life is happening next weekend, and we're all invited. Did you know that? Oh uh, no, I didn't know that. If you're 21 or over, it's open to the public. Tickets start at 50 bucks. It's going to be a huge party. Uh, social distancing and other COVID-19 regulations will be enforced too. Yeah, right. Britney Spears. <laughs> Tell me about Britney Spears. Why is this such a huge story? What happened? Yeah, this happened a long time ago, but there's a famous picture of her beating a car with an umbrella and she has a shaved head. She just she was in a bad way for a while, probably 15 years ago or so. So her parents stepped in. They didn't want to see her continue to spiral. And they got what's called a conservatorship. I think that's the word yeah, for it, yeah. where they went to a judge and said, hey, we want to help our daughter. I know she's an adult. We want to control everything. Well, to their credit, she did turn her life around and she's she's a mom and she's you know, she's she's gotten back to some normalcy. Well, now she kind of wants to be away from this. It's like, hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for helping me. But her okay dad seems now. unwilling to. Yeah, her dad seems unwilling to give up the money. So I think that's that's the problem. And I mean, I, I don't know this to be true, but who knows what, what he's spending of it and who really? knows why he doesn't want to want to so, give up. So all this money that she's been making in her Vegas act and all this money, the millions and millions and millions and millions each year has been going to him and he's controlled yeah. all that. She has no control of her own money. That's as far as I understand. Yeah, wow. she doesn't. I mean, I'm sure she gets, you know, she's a, she has kids and you know, I'm sure she gets some and she has to pay her deadbeat ex, Kevin Federline, still. I can't <laughs> believe that guy's still in her life. Oh, my God. When I read his name, I was like, that guy's still around. Ugh. So she has to cut him a check. But, yeah, I'm sure she gets like a budget or whatever. But I think she's ready to take well, control can't of her she, life. I mean, what, what's the problem? She can't be the first person in the world that's ever gone through this. What happens? She went through a bad period. Somebody stepped in yeah. and now she's better. And she's in control of her life, and she's an adult, and she should have the ability to get her life back. No? I'm a big Britney well, Spears fan. Come on. <laughs> that's that's what all her fans are saying, too. Give her back her life. Give her she's her ready. life, yes. Yeah. Free Britney. Free okay. Britney. All right. So there you go. And that's the, the nuts and bolts of that one. And the dude from The Bachelor stepping down, the host, Harrison? I read that he was defending a contestant on the show who had posted some racist stuff, like a lot of stuff. It wasn't like it wasn't like this woman said one or two things. There was a lot of Instagram and videos and a lot of proof that she was, you know, she look, appears to be prejudiced. And he, he defended her. I don't know why. And then he came back and said, yeah, I shouldn't have defended her. And then he decided to step down I don't, for like a week. But I, the latest, I don't even know. Is he gone? Is he off know. the show I now? Or? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the latest is either. He, he may be gone, but he's done that show for a long time. He's probably making some nice. I can't believe people still watch The Bachelor. By the way, it's been on forever, but he's probably got it. That, that's a good gig, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a shame for him if he has to step away from that because he was just trying to defend someone. I don't think he really realized who he's defending. So anyway, that's that's what that's that. Scott, people still listen yeah. to us. <laughs> yeah, he's been on a long time too, I guess. <laughs> oh. And, yeah, then, and then, and then there's Timberlake. Justin, yeah, Justin Timberlake apologizing to both Britney Spears and Janet Jackson. I guess Justin Timberlake feels badly now, many years later, that he wrote a song about the breakup. He wasn't kind yeah. to Britney Spears, and it might have led to her unraveling. And then there was yep. the whole Nipplegate thing on the Super Bowl halftime show, in which. Janet Jackson took a, a, a bad rap over that 
And yep. Timberlake, I guess, didn't come to her rescue as forcefully as maybe he should have. And now he's apologizing. He's feeling bad. All of a sudden, I guess, Justin Timberlake grew up and he's an older, yep. older guy like me. And he's looking back upon his life and going, what the hell was I doing? I was an idiot. Yeah, she, she took all the heat for that. I don't think he took anything. I, mean, I, I actually think that he, he blamed it on her. I, I think he, really? he said he, he didn't know what was going to happen when he pulled that, that piece of the wardrobe off. That was like his stance. And everyone, I mean, he knew. Everyone thought that he knew. So he actually backed away and said, whoa, whoa, that's her fault. So he is apologizing to Janet for that. But it turns out that she got more than just an apology because her 1986 album, Control, for whatever reason, has skyrocketed on the charts since Justin issued his Mia Culpa Friday over her 2004 incident. So she's getting a little something out of it. It hit number one on the Apple Top 40 U.S. Pop Album Chart a week ago. By the way, by the way, what's going on with the Patreon? Where's Hotshot Scott? Where's Hotshot Scott and his music, his next installment of the music show? Where's Hotshot Scott? Oh, it's 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 going. It's going down here in Glendale. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's written. It's written. It's just it's gotta be edited. So I'm hoping it'll be out in February, is okay. is my hope. Okay. There you go. All right. All right. I'm done. If you're done, maybe one last story, unless you got something else that's important. We'll save the rest for episode 130P on Thursday morning. Or do you have others? I got one last story for okay. you here. You ready? Yes. There really is no crisis so great that someone can't make a couple bucks out of it. And for the women and a few men who sell their used underpants on fetish sites like Sniffer and All Things Worn, I just found out about those two sites today. I the bought, I, has... bought 100,000 shares of Sniffer. <laughs> it might go up in this world. God, who knows? <laughs> I read on a bulletin board. I run on Reddit. That sniffers yeah. being shorted. Sniffers being shorted by all the hedge oh. funds. So I bought a hundred. Nice. I bought a hundred thousand shares of sniffer. I'm hoping it. <laughs> <laughs> you should do ads for them. You're a great sniffer. <laughs> all right. Well, it's opened up a whole a whole new possibility now. Face masks that smell of those intimate areas that you wear on your face all day. There you go. So typically, the, the, the face masks are disposable surgical masks. They're kept inside the seller's underpants or in other areas, wherever you'd like. And some are being sold up for up to 250 bucks. One model says that she used to sell socks, but started selling the face mask a few months ago due to public demand. <laughs> so if a face mask has been pressed against her body for 24 hours, oh she charges five bucks. Oh but God. the price doubles if she goes wee-wee on it. Oh, There you go. On. Doubles. Now, hold on. Her words. You're sitting in an Arizona hotel. When we started this, you told me that your your wife was nearby. Is she still nearby listening to this? I got to know. She actually left. She actually left about 20 minutes ago, and Piper just walked in, but the door shut. So you just, you told her, when I get to the sniffer story, you leave the hotel room. (laughs) When you you hear me discuss, Russell Wilson's fine. Britney Spears, fine. The Bachelor dude, fine. Um, You know. Urban Meyer, fine, but when you hear me talk oh, yeah. sniffer, that's your indication <laughs> that you got to leave the room. Right. She knows who she married. It's fine. Uh, she knows I'm a scumbag. It's totally fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <clears throat> so, yeah, so it doubles if she does that on it, but um, I'm sorry to be the buzzkill. It should be noted that COVID-19 can remain active on many surfaces for quite uh, a long time. So, in particular, it can be transmitted via traces of fecal matter on you, the whole thing. So, oh be careful, everybody out there, all right? Okay, I guess that I guess that's uh, why aromatherapy's been around for a hundred years, right? <laughs> there you go. This is a whole new world to me, a whole new world. I mean, it's really uncharted territory. <laughs> 
And finally, <laughs> charge double for P. Tony Romo could make a killing. <laughs> People have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I think some do. People, uh, we, we talked about it on yeah, the show, we? Yeah, we talked about it on 129P <laughs> for the patrons. People don't know that yes, he was spotted with pee on his pants. We did a, we did oh, a whole segment out. We've all done it before. Gone to the bathroom and come out with pee on your pants. Oh Poor guy. Yep. You being in a small hotel room with your wife nearby leads me to think that I'm going to be looking for a new host for episode 130P. <laughs> no, no. You're going to get a new roommate for the next episode. That's what you're going to get. <laughs> it sounds to me like it's going to be all or nothing. Either you're going to be here recording and staying here or we're not yes, going to ever right. hear from Hotshot again. So we've gone through <laughs> Jay- right. we've now gone through Jason Hamilton and Hotshot Scott for different reasons. She's uh, slowly going to pull the microphone apart, throw it in the garbage while looking me in the eye. That that's probably what's going to happen. Honey, you honey, you never told me that you guys discuss <laughs> sniffer on the show. <laughs> Well, the good news is she never listened when I was on the radio, and she doesn't listen to this either. So, well, I'm saying, remember, I told you she can't be that far away from you right now. That hotel room cannot be that big. Well, she actually left the okay. the room. The well, yeah, Piper's at right. the door. Yeah, she she left the premises, but Piper did walk in. So I got to you know I had to be kind of careful with her, but she don't listen to Dad anyway. So whatever, <laughs> it's all good. Well, I'm good luck. My voice. Good luck to Team Levine. And thank uh, you very much. Please, please. I'm going to send testers, COVID testers, to SeaTac to welcome your plane, okay? <laughs> I want God, a, I know. I want all three of oh. you. I want all three of you. You know what? Leave, leave your entire wardrobe, all three of you. Whatever clothes you brought there, just leave them there. I'll yeah. buy. I'll personally buy you replacement clothing for every, all three of you, <laughs> please. And just, you know, just get, get a steam cleaning before you get home. Please. Well, you would do fine on me, but you you would take a killing on my uh, my Bellevue wife. Okay. She got a, a little bit better taste than I do on the clothing, so you might want to be careful with what, what I, you offer. I figured I just have to replace ten Issaquah shirts, clean lifting shirts. That's exactly totally. I love it. That that'd be my dream. <laughs> All right, that's it. We'll uh, see you when you get back. Are you coming back or what? what? Yeah, so I'm gonna we be rec- back uh, Wednesday. All right, so yeah, so, you'll be yeah, still. We'll do another one Wednesday. Yeah. That'll be one. But you're not going to see me. I'm, no, I'm not, no. I'm not going to come over. And no, no, no. Need, the whole Levy it's going to be. It's going to be a while. <laughs> it's going to be yeah, a it's while. It's going to be a couple weeks. Please yeah. bring up to them. Have you brought it up yet? Testing when they get back. Yeah, they're. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we didn't talk about it, but the, the first venue we went to had eight courts, and you can't go in until all the games are done, which means all the teams are congregating. That's 16 uh, teams congregating outside. Uh, and then everyone goes into the venue like it's a Who uh, concert in 1978. <laughs> you shoulder to shoulder, and it's like it's like festival uh, seating. It's uh, like oh my god. god! And then you're in the venue with them. You're uh, in the venue. Yeah, the, the the place we went to the second day at the Renaissance, they had it. They had a nice little system. It was a little better. It's too late. It's just a bigger area. Too and, late. Yeah, it's too that. late. Though. I mean, right? Exactly. But it should be fun at the restaurant at the, at the team dinner tonight. You guys are so exposed in Arizona on yeah. Team Levine. That Zach Levine, somewhere in Chicago, is going to test positive after his team. <laughs> his name is on all the jerseys. Maybe by, somehow it will it will find its way to him. Oh my God! Well, I, don't don't forget what I told you. What the state motto is in Arizona: "Pandemic schmandemic." That's how they that's how they roll. I guess. And I thought Good that God. was Florida. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a different uh, world down here, man. All uh, right, have fun. Yeah. Go Team Levine. I know it hasn't been a good start to the tournament, but they'll pick it up tomorrow. Appreciate it. We'll yes, see sir. you when you get back. Episode 130, ladies and gentlemen, in the books.